Welcome to the New Chemist Podcast, one of the best chemistry podcasts globally. We are glad you are listening. We encourage you to subscribe and continue to listen. Welcome to the New Chemist Podcast. We are glad you are listening. We are one of the best chemistry podcasts globally. We encourage you to subscribe and continue to listen. We are so glad you are listening. Feel free to subscribe on Spotify and tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast. Our Deepest Fear by Marion Williamson Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightening about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we, let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we're liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Our deepest fear by Marion Williams. You are very important especially to us here at the New Chemist Podcasting Group. You listening in is significant. Vous êtes très important, surtout pour nous ici au New Chemist Podcasting Group. Votre écoute est significative. Usted es muy importante, especialmente para nosotros aquí en The Nuche Mist Podcasting Group. Usted escuchando, es significativo. Você é muito importante, especialmente para nós do The New Chemist Podcasting Group. Você ouvindo, é significativo.
Είστε πολύ σημαντικοί, ειδικά για εμάς εδώ στο The New Chemist Podcasting Group. Το να ακούς είναι σημαντικό. Sie sind sehr wichtig, besonders für uns hier bei The New Chemist Podcasting Group. Es ist wichtig, dass du zuhörst. Je bent erg belangrijk, vooral voor ons hier bij The New Chemist Podcasting Group. Dat je meeluistert, is veel betekenend. You are very important. Especially to us here at the New Chemist Podcasting Group. You listening in is significant. Welcome to the New Chemist Podcast. Bienvenidos al podcast del Nuevo Químico. Kalos irthate sto podcast tu New Chemist. Welkom bij de podcast van The New Chemist. Bienvenue sur le podcast du Nouveau Chimiste. Bem-vindo ao podcast do Novo Químico. Welcome to the New Chemist Podcast. Work hard. Be value-driven. You can do it. You can grow and learn it. You can be the difference you and your community needs. Don't give up. We are here rooting and cheering for you. Don't give up. Travaillez dur. Soyez axé sur la valeur. Tu peux le faire. Vous pouvez grandir et l'apprendre. Vous pouvez être la différence dont vous et votre communauté avez besoin. N'abandonnez pas. Nous sommes ici pour vous encourager et vous encourager. N'abandonnez pas. Trabalhar duro. Seja orientado por valores. Você consegue. Você pode crescer e aprender. Você pode ser a diferença que você e sua comunidade precisam. Não desista. Estamos aqui torcendo e torcendo por você. Não desista. Duepse esclirá. Na odigite estinaxia. Boris na tocanis. Μπορείτε να μεγαλώσετε και να το μάθετε. Μπορείτε να είστε η διαφορά που χρειάζεστε εσείς και η κοινότητά σας. Μην τα παρατάς. Είμαστε εδώ για να σας ζητοκραυγάσουμε. 
Minta para atrás. Trabaja duro. Sea impulsado por el valor. Puedes hacerlo. Puedes crecer y aprenderlo. Usted puede ser la diferencia que usted y su comunidad necesitan. No te rindas estamos aquí animándote y animándote. No te rindas. Werk hard. Wees waardig gedreven. Je kunt het. Je kunt groeien en leren. U kunt het verschil zijn dat u en uw gemeenschap nodig hebben. Geef niet op. We zijn hier om voor je te roten en te juichen. Geef niet op. Work hard. Be value driven. You can do it. You can grow and learn it. You can be the difference you and your community needs. Don't give up. We are here rooting and cheering for you. Don't give up. Thanks for listening. We're glad you were able to tune into this podcast. Once again, this is the new chemist where we discuss chemistry, which simply put is the science of change, as well as the other sciences, careers, community, research, and COVID-19. Thanks again for listening. Note, the views on this podcast represent those of my guests and I. In the world of pharmacy, we lay the claim. Knowledge and compassion is the golden flame. Science and practice side by side they groove. In a student's journey, we find the move. Grateful and humbled to be pursuing further studies as a pharmacist in training in the U.S. These episodes will be under the theme "The Journey to Nobleck Success." These will cover. In some of the form, key points that stand out to me as I embark on my journey as a pharmacy student and chart a course in Aplex Success. Note the purpose of these episodes. These are not at all for advice or medical suggestions, but to provide support for peer pharmacists in training in educational and intellectually stimulating ways. These are not at all for medical advice or for medical suggestions. Please see your local, state, and board-certified physician, PA, or NP, and pharmacist for medical advice and suggestions. The new chemist becomes a pharmacist in training. The journey to Naplex success. So the Naplex, a North American pharmacist licensure examination, is a standard examination created by the National Association of Boards of Pharmacy (NABP) to help individual state boards of pharmacy assess an individual's competency and knowledge so that they may be given a license to practice. Some big abbreviations you want to keep in mind: USP, United States Pharmacopeia 34, and Natural Formulary NF 29. So this will be episode 2A. There will be a 2B and there will be a 2C. This is 2A, episode 2A. So, biopharmaceutics and drug delivery systems.
So some key ideas we want to keep in mind. Biopharmaceutics is a study. of the relation of the physical and chemical properties of a drug to its bioavailability, pharmacokinetics, and pharmacodynamics and toxicological effects. Key terms in review, your drug product. It is the finished dosage form, example tablet capsule solution that contains the active drug ingredient in association with non-drug, usually inactive ingredients, excipients that make up the vehicle or formulation matrix. Drug delivery system is a more complete concept, which includes the drug formulation and the dynamic interaction among the drug, its formulation matrix, its container, and the patient. Bioavailability is a measurement of the rate and extent or amount of systemic absorption of the therapeutically active drug. Pharmacokinetics is a study of the body's effect on the drug, ADME. Pharmacodynamics is a study of the drug's effect on the body. So... How we're going to do this episode is going to be completely lyrical. So we're going to begin the lyrical portion right now. Biopharmaceutics and drug delivery systems. Biopharmaceutics is like a Rubik's Cube with your four ideas making you drool. Bioavailability is a measurement of the rate an extent or amount of systemic absorption. Please take the right portion. A systemic absorption of the therapeutically active drug. Yeah. Biopharmaceutics includes pharmacokinetics. Your A, your D, your M, your E. The effect of the body on the drug with that A absorption, D distribution, M metabolism, and excretion. Biopharmaceutics includes pharmacodynamics with the effects of the drug on the man. We are looking at the relation between drug concentration at the site of the action its response which is the main caption Woo. then we also consider in biopharmaceutics the toxicologic effects lest I forget the drug product in its formulation matrix of vehicle with the active ingredient and excipients. Lest I forget the drug delivery with the dynamic menagerie of interactions among the drug, its formulation matrix, its container and the patient. Continuing on with the spiel, let's drive the drug transport and absorption wheel. Across, across the cell membrane, the drug molecules 
enter the bloodstream and are transported to the tissues and organs. Let's look at some key processes in absorption. Pancellular passive, diffusion and partitioning. Paracellular transport, diffusion and convection. Let me add some focal inflections. With your carrier mediated transport and the P glycoprotein mediated efflux, which we'll get to in episode 2b. These general principles are important, you see. These general principles are important to know. These general principles are important so assemble compose P passive diffusion in thugs. They traverse the cell membrane easily than your ionic soluble drugs. We cannot forget the LMWs. The low molecular weight is just like the chemical thugs across a cell membrane more easily than the high molecular weight drugs. Let's keep it going. Do you hear what I say? We will progress in pharmacy. HU, you know. Passive diffusion and partitioning within the cytoplasm or the fluid that's interstitial. Your drugs under transport. This is not pontificial. It's simple. The simple diffusion with a great fixed law. Simple passive diffusion involves the transfer of drugs from an area of high concentration C1 to an area of low concentration C2 according to Fixor DQ over DT equals ideally DA over H in brackets C1 minus C2 where DQ over DT is the rate of drug diffusion you see D is a diffusion coefficient for the drug A is a surface area of the plane across which transfer occurs remember your chemistry thugs H is the thickness of the region through which diffusion occurs and C1 minus C2 is the difference between the drug concentration in area 1 and area 2 respectively. So with the passive drug transport Welcome to my conceptual course.
court. It involves successive partitioning of a solute between aqueous and lipid phases, as well as diffusion within respective phases. Modifying Fixed Law, please. Let's applaud. I'm kidding, but we do this to accommodate partitioning of drug. DQ over DT equals D times A times K over H in bracket C1 minus C2 where where hold it hold it the rate of drug diffusion DQ over DT now reflects its dependence on K the oil to water partition coefficient of the drug as well as on 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 A and in brackets C1 minus C2 rum part tum tum ionization of a weak electrolyte you know I always wanted to be an acolyte a therifer, a catechist, or a trumpeter, you see. But today we're talking about my good friend, not the trumpeter, but Le Chatelier, in the ionization. So ionization is affected by pH of the medium in which the drug is dissolved as well as by the pKa remember non ionized are like the chemical thugs more lipid soluble the diffusive thug if you will they are more lipid soluble than the ionized and it partitions more readily Hopefully, by now, you realize. Rumpa Tum Tum, let's have a drum roll. Hey, little beggar boy. Oh, that's four. The periodic table. Let's talk about the transport process. That's not a fable. The active transport The active transport of the drug with it moving across a concentration gradient requiring energy, selective potentially, saturation possibility, and competitive it can be. Yet we must look across the hall and see that facilitated diffusion is on the carrier mediated transport system walls. Facilitated diffusion occurs across a concentration 
Ukrainian and does not require energy. Obrigada e você. Como você está? Tudo bem. Tudo bem. Tudo. Tudo. Well, fala um pequeno português. So let's talk in English, por favor. Se vous play. With that power cellular transport. Drug transport across. Tight, narrow junctions between cells or trans endothelial channels. No. I'm not talking about fire stick, but let me give you a conceptual trick. Paracellular transport involves both diffusion and convective or bulk flow of water and the accompanying water-soluble drugs through the channels. Through the channels. That can be a hint. Now let's look at the vesicles. Newly minted, minted, minted idea in this lyrical scheme. Vesicular transport is the process of engulfing particles or dissolved materials by a cell. Engulf. Engulfment. Engulfment. Pino, we're drinking. Fago, we're eating. Pinocytosis. Engulfment of small solute or fluid volumes. Phagocytosis is the engulfment of larger particles. Your macromolecules, generally by macrophages. Endocytosis and exocytosis are the movement of macromolecules into and out of the cell. Biopharmaceutics and drug delivery systems. So we've reached the end of this lyrical scheme. You see, but we'll pick back up conceptually in episode two B. Okay. So grateful and humbled to be pursuing further studies as a pharmacist in the U.S. These episodes, again, will be on the theme, The Journey to Naplex Success. These will cover in summative form key points that sounded to me as I embark on my journey as a pharmacy student and chart a course to Naplex Success. Note the purpose of these episodes, not at all for advice or medical suggestions, but to provide support for pair pharmacists and training in educational and intellectually stimulating ways. 
Not at all for medical advice or medical suggestions. Please see your local state and board certified physician, PA or NP, and pharmacist for medical advice and suggestions. The newcomers becomes a pharmacist in training. The journey to NAPLEX success. The North American Pharmacist Licensure Examination, NAPLEX, is a standard examination created by the National Association of Boards of Pharmacy, NABP, to help individual state boards of pharmacy assess an individual's competency and knowledge so that they may be given a license to practice. So this is an important exam. So big abbreviations we want to keep in mind as we conclude. USP 34, United States Pharmacopeia 34, and NF Natural Formulary 29. So this is the end of the episode. Thanks for listening. Once upon a time, in a quaint village nestled deep within the enchanted forest, there lived a wise pharmacist named Alara. She was known far and wide for her vast knowledge of drug informatics in the realm of pharmacy. Her knowledge extended beyond the ordinary, thanks to the enchanted clinical keys, Elsevier's global clinical reference which held the secrets of the most potent remedies and healing concoctions. Ilera had consulted with over 2,000 doctors from across the world, drawing invaluable information from clinical pharmacology, a mystical repository of drug monographs, pediatric remedies, drug class overviews, and patient education. The clinical pharmacology was a tertiary reference, akin to the micromedics, and was reserved for health professionals who sought its wisdom. But the clinical pharmacology was not the only magical tome in Alara's possession. It was available by subscription only, its pages unlocking the secrets of medicines and dosages known to few. As a guardian of this knowledge, Alara understood that with great power came great responsibility. In the realm of pharmacy, glucose was a precious elixir, a simple sugar that served as the primary source of energy for all living beings. Its normal range was 70 to 100 mg dl, and Alara knew the importance of maintaining this balance in the body. Recent statistics had revealed a troubling increase in diabetes mellitus cases, with 37.3 million souls afflicted, a staggering 11.3% of the kingdom's population. Among them, 28.7 million had received a diagnosis, while 8.5 million lived unaware of the ailment that lurked within them. Over the last decade, the incidence of newly diagnosed diabetes had risen, casting a shadow of concern. In the world of diabetes, two theories had taken root. The internal resistance theory spoke of the lack of glucose inside cells, while the overflow paradigm warned of excess glucose accumulating within. Ilera's knowledge extended to the many medications available to lower glucose levels. Some medications, like biguanides and thiazolidindians, increased insulin sensitivity, while others, like glinides and sulfonylureas, boosted insulin secretion. Then, there were the incretin-based therapies, such as DPP-4 inhibitors and GLP receptor agonists, each with its own unique magic. Other agents, like SGLT2 inhibitors, amylin analogs, and alpha-glycosidase inhibitors, added to the arsenal of glucose-lowering medications. And in times of dire need, there was always the faithful insulin to come to the rescue. Sulfonylureas, however, had their own set of enchantments. They increased insulin secretion, but their use came with the risks of hypoglycemia, weight gain, and, in some studies, 
increased mortality. In the world of diabetes, Ilera knew the importance of choosing the right potion. The first generation sulfonylureas, like chlorapropamide, had their loyal followers, but the second generation, including glymphuride and glyburide, had gained prominence. Thiazolidindians, or glitazones, were known for their ability to increase insulin sensitivity and lower A1C efficacy. They were like wizards in their own right, but their enchantments came with side effects like edema, heart failure, bone fractures, and increased LDL-CDPP4 inhibitors, on the other hand, were subtle in their actions. They blocked the DPP4 enzyme, ensuring that GLP-1 could work its magic to stimulate insulin secretion and suppress glucagon. They were safer in terms of hypoglycemia but had their own set of concerns, including angioedema, urticaria, acute pancreatitis, and heart failure hospitalizations. Biguanides, such as metformin, worked by reducing hepatic glucose production and enhancing insulin sensitivity. They had a reputation for low hypoglycemia risk and relatively high A1C efficacy, but they were not without their share of side effects, including gastrointestinal discomfort and vitamin B12 deficiency. GLP-1 receptor agonists were another mystical class of medications. They slowed gastric emptying, reduced appetite, and decreased postprandial glucose, making them a valuable tool in the battle against diabetes. However, they brought their own set of side effects, including gastrointestinal discomfort and an increase in heart rate. SGLT2 inhibitors were like guardians of the kidneys, blocking glucose reabsorption and ensuring it was excreted in the urine. They had a low risk of hypoglycemia, decreased weight, and lower blood pressure as their allies but they also faced genitourinary infections, increased LDLC, and the risk of diabetic ketoacidosis. And then there were the humble alpha-glycosidase inhibitors, the least used but not to be underestimated. They slowed intestinal carbohydrate digestion and had the power to decrease postprandial glucose, all without causing systemic side effects. In the enchanted world of pharmacy, Ilera knew that the right potion could be a lifesaver, but it was essential to choose wisely. Whether it was a simple glucose elixir or a complex concoction of diabetes medications, the pharmacist's knowledge held the power to heal and protect the people of the realm. With her clinical keys, clinical pharmacology, and a heart filled with compassion, Ilera continued her quest to keep the kingdom healthy, one prescription at a time. And in the end, it was her dedication to the art of drug informatics in pharmacy that made her a true hero in the world of fairy tales and beyond. Once upon a time in a magical land known as Pharmacia, there was a beautiful kingdom filled with the most knowledgeable healers and pharmacists. These wise individuals held the key to a secret treasure known as Clinical Keys, a valuable source of information that was guarded with the utmost care. In the heart of Pharmacia, there was a grand castle where the pharmacy and therapeutics, P&T, committee convened to make important decisions about the kingdom's health care. The committee consisted of various members, including physicians, pharmacists, nurses, and other health care providers. The chairman, a wise physician, and the secretary, the director of pharmacy, played crucial roles in ensuring that the meetings were productive. One day, a great challenge arose in the kingdom. There was a shortage of a vital potion that was needed to treat a rare ailment. This potion had saved many lives, 
and its absence was causing concern among the kingdom's inhabitants. The P&T Committee, recognizing their role as the guardians of healthcare, gathered to address the issue. They were faced with a difficult decision, to find a suitable substitute for the potion and ensure that it was both safe and cost-effective. This was a matter of great importance as they couldn't afford to make any mistakes. To make the right decision, the committee relied on the principles of evidence-based medicine. They carefully reviewed the available research and consulted their precious clinical keys. These keys contained information from clinical pharmacology, a trusted source drawn upon by more than 2,000 doctors worldwide. The kingdom's health professionals, including the physicians and pharmacists, had access to clinical keys, which were available by subscription only. The P&T committee decided to convene a grand assembly with the help of their clinical keys. They discussed the potential substitutes for the potion, considering factors such as safety, efficacy, and cost-effectiveness. They also assessed the risk of side effects, interactions, and any other concerns that might affect the kingdom's citizens. The wise pharmacists, who were experts in drug information, presented the findings from their research. They shared information about the various types of medications available, including drugs that increased insulin sensitivity, insulin secretagogues, incretin-based therapies, and other agents like SGLT2 inhibitors, alpha-glycosidase inhibitors, and more. The chairman of the P&T committee, supported by the expertise of the pharmacists, made the final decision. They selected a substitute for the potion that was not only effective but also safe for the kingdom's inhabitants. The decision was based on rigorous data collection, risk assessment, and careful consideration of all available evidence. As a result of the P&T Committee's dedication to evidence-based medicine and their reliance on clinical keys, the kingdom of pharmacia continued to thrive. The health professionals remained trusted sources of drug information, and the citizens received the best possible care, ensuring the well-being of the entire kingdom. And so, in the enchanting land of pharmacia, the tale of the P&T Committee and the invaluable clinical keys became a legendary story of wisdom, evidence, and the pursuit of the best possible health care for all. D-Exam 2 Study Set 1 What are some information related to clinical keys, Elsevier's Global Clinical Reference 2? Involved consulting more than 2,000 doctors across the world. 3 Draws information from clinical pharmacology 4. Considered as tertiary references, Micromedics, 5. Target for Health Professional 6. Available by subscription only. 2. What are some key aspects of clinical pharmacology? 1. Drug monographs detailed drug information for prescriptions, over-the-counter medicines, herbal remedies, vitamins 2. Pediatric monographs Harriet Lane Handbook Content 3. Drug class overviews 4. Patient drug and disease education. 3. What are the key types of information available on clinical pharmacology? Dash, 1. For compatibility 2. Toxicology resource poison and overdose emergencies management information 3. Custom reports allow users to compare drug products or screen for the therapeutic issues. Medication alerts. 4. Electronic databases only, no print counterpart peer reviewed. 4. What is glucose? Glucose is a simple sugar. It is an energy source, primary, ketone slash AA it is used almost by all cells in the body. 
Normal range is 70 to 100 mg DL5. What are some recent diabetes mellitus statistics? 1. The total number of people with diabetes is 37.3 million people that have diabetes, 11.3% of the USD exam 2 study set population, 2. Total diagnosed patients with diabetes include, 28.7 million people, including 28.5 million adults. 3. Total undiagnosed patients, 8.5 million people, 23.0% of adults are undiagnosed, 6. How much has diabetes increased over the last 10 years? CDC reported that the incidence of new onset diagnosed diabetes 7. What are the different theories associated with diabetes? There are two different theories associated with diabetes internal resistance, one internal starvation theory, which refers to lack of glucose inside the cells. Two overflow paradigm refers to excess glucose accumulation inside the cells. 8. What are the currently available glucose-lowering medications? Specifically drugs that increase insulin sensitivity, 1. Drugs that increase insulin sensitivity, abiguanides, metformin, b-thiazolidindians 9. What are the currently available glucose-lowering medications? Specifically what are the insulin secretagogues? The insulin secretagogues are glinides and sulfonylureas. 10. What are the currently available glucose-lowering medications? Specifically what are incretin-based therapies, 1-DPP-4 inhibitors 2. GLP receptor agonists 11. What are the currently available glucose-lowering medications? Specifically what are the other agents, other agents, 1-SGLT-2 inhibitors 2. Amylin analog 3. Alpha-glycosidase inhibitors 12. What is another example of glucose-lowering medications, insulin, E. 13. What do sulfonylureas do? Part 1. Sulfonylureas increase insulin secretion. The benefits include that we, as healthcare providers, have extensive experience. Also, relatively higher A1C efficacy. 14. What are the safety concerns with sulfonylureas? Sulfonylureas use risks include hypoglycemia and increase in weight. Also in some studies, they increase mortality. 15. What are the first-generation sulfonylureas? An example of a first-generation sulfonylurea is chloropropamide. 16. What are the second-generation sulfonylureas? Second-generation, 1. Glyburide, Amaryl, 2. Glyburide, Diabeta, Micronase, Clinase, D-Exam 2 study set 17. What is the mechanism and what are the benefits of thiazolidindians or glitazones? The mechanism of thiazolidindians increase insulin sensitivity. Also the benefits include, relatively higher A1C efficacy, and triglycerides, pioglitazone. 18. What are some of the safety concerns associated with glitazones? The safety concerns involve edema, that results in an increase in weight, heart failure, bone fracture, and increase in LDLC with rosiglitazone. It is important to note that FDA temporarily imposed strict limits on the Avondia's use following reports of heart problems associated with the drug, but it remains available in the US. 19. What are DPP-4 inhibitors, and what are their roles? The types of DPP-4 inhibitors are, 1. Linagliptin, Trajantat, 2. Saxagliptin, Onglaza, 3. Citagliptin, Januvia, 4. 
A. Logliptin, Nisana, 20. What are DPP-4 inhibitors, and what are their mechanisms of actions? DPP-4 inhibitors, mechanism of action involve food going to the small intestine, then DPP-4 enzyme inactivates GLP-1 and DPP-4 inhibitors block the DPP-4 enzyme. GLP-1 is an enzyme that functions to stimulate insulin secretion and suppresses glucagon secretion. Overall it results in an increase in insulin secretion and a decrease glucagon secretion. 21 What are the benefits of using DPP-4 inhibitors, they have a low risk of hypoglycemia. 22 What are some safety concerns with DPP-4 inhibitors, the safety concerns involve angioedema and urticaria, and other immune-mediated dermatological effects. Also, more safety concerns involve acute pancreatitis and heart failure hospitalizations. 23 What is the mechanism of action of biguanides, for example metformin, the mechanism of action involves, reducing hepatic glucose production, and enhancing the insulin sensitivity. 24 What are the benefits of biguanides such as metformin, the benefits involve extensive experiences with low risk for hypoglycemia, and relatively higher A1C efficacy. 25 What are the safety concerns associated with using biguanides such as metformin, the safety concerns involve, GI side effects, up to 30%, vitamin B12 deficiency D exam 2 study set lactic acidosis risk, contraindicated or use with caution when, a glomerular filtration rate is less than 30 ml per minute B the patient has heart failure C there is contract dye used. 26 What is the mechanism for GLP-1 receptor agonists? The mechanism of action involves the fact the GLP-1 receptor slows gastric emptying, increasing satiety, increases insulin secretion and decreases glucagon, glucose dependent. 27 What are the benefits for GLP-1 receptor agonists? The benefits include reduce appetite, decreased weight and decreased postprandial glucose. 28 What are safety concerns for GLP-1 receptor agonists? The safety concerns for GLP-1 receptor are, 1 GI side effects 2. Increase heart rate 3. C-cell hyperplasia slash metallary thyroid tumors in animals. 29 What are some examples of GLP-1 receptor agonists? 1. Lixazinatide, adlixin, 2. Liraglutide, Victaza, 3. Semaglutide, Ozempic, 4. Exonatide QW, Bigerion, 5. Albiglutide, Aperson, 6. Oral semaglutide, Ribolsis, 30. What are some examples of SGLT2 inhibitors? 1. Canagliflozin, Invokana, 2. Dipaglifosin, Farxiga, 3. Impagliflozin, Jardiance, 31. What is the mechanism of SGLT2 inhibitors? The mechanism of SGLT2 is that is blocks glucose reabsorption by the kidney. The mechanism also involves glucosuria. 32 What are the benefits of SGLT2 inhibitors? 1 It has a low risk for hypoglycemia 2. Results in a decrease in weight 3. Results in a decrease in blood pressure. 33 What are the safety concerns for SGLT2 inhibitors? 1 The concerns are genitourinary infections 2. Urosepsis, pyelonephritis, polyuria 3. Increased amount of LDLC4. Increases the creatine level, transient, 5. 
Diabetic Ketoacidosis 34 What are alpha-glucosidase inhibitors, these are the least effective and used drug, but very useful. D-exam 2 study set examples of these are, A-carbose, Precose, Miglitol, Glycet, 35. What is the mechanism of action of alpha-glucosidase inhibitors? Alpha-glucosidase inhibitors slow intestinal carbohydrate digestion and or absorption. 36 What are the benefits of alpha-glucosidase inhibitors? The benefits of alpha-glucosidase are low risk of hypoglycemia and decrease in postprandial glucose excursion, and it is non-systemic. 37 What are the safety concerns of alpha-glucosidase inhibitors? The safety concerns are generally modest A1C efficacy. Also there are concerns with GI side effects and frequent dosing schedule. 38 What some lifestyle management tips? 1 low carb 2 fasting 3 exercise 39 what is the relationship between low carb diets and type 2 diabetes on the basis of moderate to low certainty evidence patients adhering to a low carbohydrate diet for six months might experience diabetes remission without adverse consequences 40 what are the benefits of intermittent fasting the benefits of intermittent fasting are one weight loss two it can reduce insulin resistance, lowering blood sugar by 3 to 6% and insulin levels by 20 to 31%. 3 reduces risk of inflammation 4. Reduces bad LDL cholesterol blood triglycerides, inflammatory markers and blood sugar. 5 increases the brain hormone brain derived nootrophic factor and may aid the growth of new nerve cells. Common types of questions from providers and search engines 1. Drug information, pharmacists providing accurate and complete responses to de-requests too. Trust in pharmacists, pharmacists recognized as drug experts and providers of D3. Challenges, keeping current de-resources and dealing with sometimes inaccurate information for Physicians and technology, physicians using mobile devices for healthcare tasks slash questions 5. Patients and technology, younger patients using the internet as a primary source of D6. Patients in technology, older patients preferring to talk to a healthcare provider as the primary source of D7. Patients in technology, non-healthcare members may have fewer skills to evaluate the validity of D received on the internet 8. Pharmacists role in D, knowing available D resources and using them effectively and efficiently 9. A clinical question during rounds, Comparing the effectiveness of clopidogrel and ticagrel are for steamy patients going for emergency PCI-10. Addressing the question when you are sure, acknowledging the question, providing the conclusion, elaborating on the answer, and asking for follow-up questions 11. Addressing the question when you are not sure, acknowledging the question, providing what you know, specifying the time frame for following up, and confirming the way of communication 12. How to look up the question, classifying the question, utilizing electronic databases for mechanism of action, dose, root, side effects, or monitoring questions, and utilizing primary literature for clinical questions 13. PubMed, a database for searching clinical literature 14. A clinical question during rounds, determining the proper dose for apixaban in an elderly patient with bad kidney function 15. Micromedux an electronic database for drug information 16. Conclusion, pharmacists as D experts, leaders in providing D, 
evolving field with new references and sources, and acquiring techniques to find high-quality information 17. Active Learning Activity, Addressing the Proper Rivaroxabondose for Acute DVT 18. Active Learning, Addressing the Effect of Benzodiazepines versus Dexmedidomidine on Delirium in the ICU Pharmacy and Therapeutics, P&T, Committee 1. Pharmacy and Therapeutics, P&T, Committee, an advisory group on safe and therapeutic use of medications 2. Membership composition, includes physicians, pharmacists, nurses, and other healthcare providers 3. Chairman, a physician who advocates for the pharmacy department 4. Secretary, Director of Pharmacy responsible for meeting agenda and minutes 5. Meeting frequency, meets at least 6 times a year and as needed 6. Role of P&T Committee, Overseas Drug Therapy, Formulary Management and Quality Assurance 7. Drug Shortages, P&T Committee's Responsibility to Construct a Formulary with Safe and Cost-Effective Drugs 8. Product Shortage, Supply Issue Affecting Drug Preparation, Dispensing, or Patient Care 9. Case 1, The Wrong Solution Substitution, A Drug Shortage Led to an Incorrect Substitution, resulting in a patient's death 10. Policies and Procedures, P-P Required by the Joint Commission for Certain Types of Medication Orders 11. Credentialing and Privileges, Granting of Privileges to Prescribe Specific Drugs Based on Credentials 12. Quality Assurance Activities, Includes Medication Quality Assurance, Adverse Drug Reactions, and Medication Errors 13. Who Uses P&T Committee, Hospitals, health plans, prescription benefit managers, and government organizations 14. P&T Committee, Functions, Policy Development, Communication and Education, and Formulary Management 15. Formulary Management, Developing and Maintaining an Evidence-Based List of Medications 16. Formulary System, Method Used to Develop a Drug List for Treatment of Disease States 17. Non-Formulary, NF. Drugs, drugs not as clinically effective or cost-effective as others in the class 18. Drug monograph, provides information on indications, interactions, contraindications, and side effects of a drug 19. Adverse drug reactions vs side effects, adverse reactions are unintended effects, while side effects are secondary unwanted effects 20. Do. Drug Use Evaluation Ongoing Evaluation of Drug Use at the Individual Patient Level 21 Origin and Description of Terms, DER, OR, DO, and MUE originated from different standards and expanded over time Pharmacy and Therapeutics, P&T, Committee 22 Steps of DO, Establish Responsibility, Define Objectives, Review Criteria, Collect Data, Analyze Data, Provide Feedback, and Follow Up 23 Medication Use Evaluation, MUE focuses on evaluating and improving medication use process for optimal patient outcomes 24. P&T Committee, Pharmacy Support, Planning Agendas, Gathering Data, Evaluating Medications, Conducting Quality Assurance, and Communicating Information 25. Formulary Inclusion, Steps to be taken for possible inclusion of a new drug in the Formulary 26. Non-formulary NF, drugs coverage, may be covered with prior authorization or partial coverage without of pocket copay study design, 
Statistical and Methodological Considerations 1. Study Design, Methodology Used to Investigate a Particular Phenomenon 2. Research Question, Primary Issue That Dictates the Study Design 3. Covariates, Other Variables That Potentially Affect the Relationship Between Exposure and Outcome 4. Exposure, Specific Factor Being Studied in Relation to Its Effect on an Outcome 5. Outcome, Result or Endpoint Being Measured in a Study 6. Evidence-Based Medicine, Process of Making Decisions Based on Up-to-Date, Reliable Research Evidence 7. Treatment Guidelines, Recommendations for Patient Care Based on Research Evidence 8. Randomized Controlled Clinical Trial, Gold Standard Study Design That Shows Cause and Effect 9. Case Report, Descriptive Account of Interesting-slash-Unusual Characteristics OB Served in One Patient 10. Case Series, Descriptive Account of a Group of Subjects with Unusual Observed Characteristics 11. Cross-Sectional, Study Design Where Exposure and Outcome Are Collected at One Time Period 12. Case Control, Study Design That Looks Back to Identify Factors That May Influence a Current Condition 13. Prospective Cohort, Study design where a group of individuals with common characteristics are followed forward over time 14. Retrospective cohort, study design similar to prospective cohort, but uses only records instead of following people in person 15. P-value, probability value used to answer the research question 16. Risk estimates, extent of the relationship between exposure and outcome 17. Data collection. Collection of primary or secondary data for the study 18. Sample size, number of participants in the study, determining statistical power 19. Bias, anything that compromises the ability to accurately determine the effect of exposure on the outcome 20. Selection bias, bias introduced when key confounding factors are not collected in a study 21. Information bias. Bias introduced due to inaccurate or incomplete information 22. Confounding bias, bias introduced when confounding factors are not properly accounted for 23. Non-response bias, bias introduced when participants do not respond to the study 24. Loss to follow-up, bias introduced when participants are lost during the course of the study study design, statistical and methodological considerations 25. Volunteer bias. Bias introduced when participants self-select to be part of the study 26. Reporting bias, bias introduced due to selective reporting of study results 27. Interviewer bias, bias introduced due to the behavior or characteristics of the interviewer 28. Recall bias, bias introduced due to participants' inaccurate recall of past events once upon a time, in the enchanting land of Pharmacia, there was a wise and kind pharmacist named Alice. She possessed a magical book known as Clinical Keys, a tome filled with Elsevier's global clinical reference that held the secrets of health and healing. This book was a treasure sought by health professionals far and wide, but it was available by subscription only. To ensure the accuracy of the information within her clinical keys, Alice embarked on a grand adventure. She consulted with more than 2,000 doctors from across the world, gathering their wisdom to enhance her knowledge. It was said that her book drew its information from a mystical source known as Clinical Pharmacology, a repository of detailed drug information for prescriptions, over-the-counter medicines, herbal remedies, and vitamins. 
It even contained a section on pediatric monographs inspired by the Harriet Lane Handbook. Alice knew that clinical pharmacology was considered a tertiary reference, alongside micromedics, which was another invaluable resource for her and her fellow health professionals. She could compare drug products, screen for therapeutic issues, and receive medication alerts through these electronic databases. In the kingdom of Pharmacia, one common concern was diabetes, a condition in which the people's bodies struggled with glucose, a simple sugar that served as their primary source of energy. Alice, always eager to learn, knew the importance of keeping up with recent statistics. She learned that the total number of people with diabetes had reached 37.3 million, which was 11.3% of the kingdom's population. Of these, 28.7 million had been diagnosed, while 8.5 million remained undiagnosed. With diabetes on the rise over the last 10 years, as reported by the Centers for Disease Control CDC, understanding the different theories associated with diabetes became crucial. There were two theories, the internal starvation theory, which spoke of a lack of glucose inside the cells, and the overflow paradigm, which referred to an excess of glucose accumulating within the cells. Alice, being a diligent and caring pharmacist, made it her mission to understand the available glucose-lowering medications. She learned about drugs that increased insulin sensitivity, such as biguanides and thiazolidindians. Then, there were the insulin secretagogues, like glinides and sulfonylureas, which played a role in stimulating insulin secretion. In cretin-based therapies, including DPP-4 inhibitors and GLP-1 receptor agonists, were another category of glucose-lowering medications. Additionally, there were other agents, like SGLT2 inhibitors, amylin analogs, and alpha-glycosidase inhibitors. And, of course, the ever-reliable insulin, a classic hero in the battle against diabetes. Sulfonylureas, Alice learned, had the power to increase insulin secretion, a benefit supported by extensive experience and relatively higher A1C efficacy. However, they came with safety concerns, including the risk of hypoglycemia, weight gain, and even increased mortality in some studies. Alice delved deeper into the world of sulfonylureas, discovering that they were divided into first-generation and second-generation drugs, each with its unique properties. First-generation sulfonylureas, like chlorpropamide, were the pioneers in diabetes treatment. Second-generation sulfonylureas, on the other hand, included glymburide and glyburide. These advanced heroes further enhanced insulin secretion to combat the diabetes dragon. Among the many options for diabetes management, Alice found thiazolidindians or glitazones, which increased insulin sensitivity and reduced A1C levels. However, they weren't without their safety concerns, including edema, heart failure, and bone fractures, along with an increase in LDLC. There were even reports of heart problems associated with one of the glitazones. Alice's quest for knowledge led her to DPP-4 inhibitors, a class of drugs that included linagliptin, saxagliptin, citagliptin, and alagliptin. These inhibitors worked by blocking the DPP-4 enzyme, allowing GLP-1 to stimulate insulin secretion and suppress glucagon, resulting in improved glucose management. They had the benefit of a low risk of hypoglycemia. However, 
Alice couldn't ignore the safety concerns associated with DPP-4 inhibitors. They brought with them the threat of angioedema, urticaria, immune-mediated dermatological effects, acute pancreatitis, and an increased risk of heart failure hospitalizations. Another formidable hero in the battle against diabetes was metformin, a biglanide. Metformin's mechanism of action involved reducing hepatic glucose production and enhancing insulin sensitivity. It had a low risk for hypoglycemia and was known for its relatively higher A1C efficacy. Yet, metformin wasn't without its own set of safety concerns. Gastrointestinal side effects, the risk of vitamin B12 deficiency, and the possibility of lactic acidosis were the dragons that Alice and her patients had to face. Alice's journey led her to GLP-1 receptor agonists, which had the power to slow gastric emptying, reduce appetite, and decrease postprandial glucose levels. However, they also had their share of safety concerns, such as gastrointestinal side effects and an increase in heart rate. There were even reports of C-cell hyperplasia and metallary thyroid tumors in animals. Alice's book, Clinical Keys, provided her with a list of examples of GLP-1 receptor agonists, including lixazinatide, liraglutide, semaglutide, exanatide QW, albiglutide, and even an oral version. SGLT2 inhibitors, another group of glucose-lowering medications, blocked glucose reabsorption by the kidneys and led to glucosuria. They offered the benefit of a low risk of hypoglycemia, along with a decrease in weight and blood pressure. Yet, they also brought the risk of genitourinary infections, urosepsis, increased LDLC, transient increases in creatinine levels, and the dreaded diabetic ketoacidosis. Alice couldn't forget the alpha-glycosidase inhibitors, although they were considered the least effective of the diabetes-fighting agents. Medications like acarbose and miglitol were known for slowing down intestinal carbohydrate digestion and absorption, leading to a decrease in postprandial glucose levels without affecting the entire body. As Alice continued her journey, she came across lifestyle management tips for diabetes. Low-carb diets, intermittent fasting, and regular exercise were all strategies that could aid in managing diabetes effectively. Low-carb diets, for instance, had the potential to induce diabetes remission without adverse consequences. Intermittent fasting not only helped with weight loss but also reduced insulin resistance and lowered blood sugar and insulin levels. It even reduced the risk of inflammation and improved various health markers, including cholesterol levels. In the land of pharmacia, the battle against diabetes raged on, and Alice, armed with her clinical keys and newfound knowledge, stood ready to guide her patients on their quest for better health. With every page she turned and every piece of information she gathered, she became an even wiser and more compassionate pharmacist, ready to face any challenge that came her way. And so, her tale in the magical world of drug informatics continued, with new chapters and adventures waiting to unfold. In the end, the fairy tale of Alice, the pharmacist, emphasized the concepts and terms of drug informatics in pharmacy, showcasing the importance of accurate information, the role of different drug references, the significance of understanding diabetes and its management, and the various medications and their safety concerns. Alice's journey through the world of pharmaceutical knowledge highlighted the vital role of pharmacists in helping patients on their healthcare journeys. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Welcome to today's lecture on Drug Informatics in Pharmacy. In this lecture, we will explore various aspects of drug informatics and delve into the world of clinical data, medication management, and therapeutic interventions using Richard Feynman's approach. We'll ensure that each concept and term is noted and emphasized and that they are relevant to the field of drug informatics in pharmacy. 1. Introduction to Clinical Keys and Drug Informatics Let's begin with a brief introduction to Clinical Keys, Elsevier's global clinical reference, and how it relates to drug informatics in pharmacy. 2. Clinical Keys, a global clinical reference Clinical Keys is a comprehensive global clinical reference available by subscription. It draws information from various sources, including clinical pharmacology, and is considered a tertiary reference like Micromedics. It is primarily targeted at health professionals and provides invaluable drug-related information. 3. Clinical Pharmacology Key Aspects Clinical Pharmacology is a crucial resource in drug informatics. It offers drug monographs, pediatric monographs, drug class overviews, and patient drug and disease education. This information is indispensable for healthcare professionals in making informed decisions regarding drug therapy. 4. Types of information in clinical pharmacology In clinical pharmacology, you can find various types of information, such as for compatibility, toxicology resources for poison and overdose emergencies, custom reports, and medication alerts. This electronic database is peer-reviewed and has no print counterpart, making it a vital resource for drug informatics. 5. Understanding Glucose Before we dive deeper into drug informatics, it's essential to understand the concept of glucose. Glucose is a simple sugar, a primary energy source for the body. It is used by nearly all cells, and its normal range is 70,100 mg dl. 6. Recent Diabetes Mellitus Statistics To highlight the importance of drug informatics in the context of real-world healthcare, let's look at some recent Diabetes Mellitus Statistics. Diabetes is a prevalent health concern, affecting millions of people, with a significant increase in its incidence over the last decade. 7. Theories associated with diabetes Two theories are associated with diabetes, the internal starvation theory, which refers to a lack of glucose inside cells, and the overflow paradigm, which refers to excess glucose accumulation inside cells. 8. Glucose-lowering medications, insulin sensitivity Now, let's shift our focus to the various glucose-lowering medications, starting with drugs that increase insulin sensitivity. These include biguanides like metformin and thiazolidindians. 9. Glucose-lowering medications, insulin secretagogues The insulin secretagogues are glinides and sulfonylureas, which play a critical role in managing blood sugar levels. 10. Glucose-lowering medications, incretin-based therapies Incretin-based therapies, such as DPP-4 inhibitors and GLP-1 receptor agonists, offer innovative approaches to diabetes management. 11. Glucose-lowering medications, other agents beyond the traditional categories, there are other agents like SGLT2 inhibitors, amylin analogs, and alpha-glucosidase inhibitors that contribute to comprehensive diabetes care. 12. Another example of glucose-lowering medications Let's not forget insulin, a fundamental and versatile medication in diabetes management. 13. Sulfonylureas, Part 1, 
mechanism and benefits sulfonylureas increase insulin secretion and have advantages in terms of healthcare provider experience and A1C efficacy. 14. Safety Concerns with Sulfonylureas However, sulfonylureas come with safety concerns, including hypoglycemia, weight gain, and potential increased mortality in some studies. 15. First-generation sulfonylureas Examples of first-generation sulfonylureas, like chlorpropamide, are a part of diabetes treatment history. 16. Second-generation sulfonylureas The second generation of sulfonylureas includes drugs like glymphuride and glyburide, offering improvements in efficacy and safety. 17. Thiazolidindians, glitazones, mechanism and benefits Thiazolidindians or glitazones increase insulin sensitivity and provide advantages, such as A1C efficacy and benefits for triglycerides. 18. Safety concerns with glitazones yet. These drugs have safety concerns, including edema, weight gain, heart failure, and bone fractures. We'll also discuss the regulatory history of Avondia. 19. DPP-4 Inhibitors Roles Moving on to DPP-4 Inhibitors, these medications play a vital role in diabetes management by inhibiting DPP-4 enzyme activity. 20. DPP-4 Inhibitors Mechanisms of action The mechanism of DPP-4 inhibitors involves blocking the DPP-4 enzyme, resulting in an increase in insulin secretion and a decrease in glucagon secretion. 21. Benefits of DPP-4 inhibitors One of the key benefits of DPP-4 inhibitors is their low risk of hypoglycemia, making them a valuable option in diabetes treatment. 22. Safety concerns with DPP-4 inhibitors However, safety concerns including angioedema, urticaria, acute pancreatitis, and heart failure hospitalizations, need to be considered. 23. Mechanism of action of biguanides, metformin, biguanides, such as metformin, act by reducing hepatic glucose production and enhancing insulin sensitivity. They offer unique benefits in diabetes management. 24. Benefits of biguanides, metformin, the benefits of biguanides include extensive experience, a low risk of hypoglycemia, and relatively high A1C efficacy. 25. Safety concerns with biguanides, metformin, however, safety concerns, such as GI side effects, vitamin B12 deficiency, lactic acidosis risk, and contraindications based on glomerular filtration rate, heart failure, and contrast dye use must be carefully considered. 26. Mechanism of GLP-1 receptor agonists GLP-1 receptor agonists have a unique mechanism of action, involving the slowing of gastric emptying, increased satiety, insulin secretion, and decreased glucagon, all in a glucose-dependent manner. 27. Benefits of GLP-1 receptor agonists These medications offer benefits such as reduced appetite, weight loss, and decreased postprandial glucose levels. 28. Safety concerns for GLP-1 receptor agonists Despite their advantages, GLP-1 receptor agonists come with safety concerns, including GI side effects and an increase in heart rate. In animal studies, they've been associated with C-cell hyperplasia and metallary thyroid tumors. 29. Examples of GLP-1 receptor agonists Several GLP-1 receptor agonists are available, including lixazinatide, liraglutide, semaglutide, 
exonatide QW, albiglutide, and oral semaglutide. 30. Examples of SGLT2 inhibitors SGLT2 inhibitors, such as canagliflozin, dipaglifosin, and empagliflozin, provide a unique approach to managing blood sugar. 31. Mechanism of SGLT2 inhibitors The mechanism of SGLT2 inhibitors involves blocking glucose reabsorption by the kidneys, leading to glucosuria and reduced blood sugar levels. 32. Benefits of SGLT2 inhibitors SGLT2 inhibitors offer multiple benefits, including a low risk of hypoglycemia, weight loss, and decreased blood pressure. 33. Safety concerns for SGLT2 inhibitors However, these medications come with safety concerns, including genitourinary infections, urosepsis, pyelonephritis, increased LDLC levels, transient increases in creatinine, and the risk of diabetic ketoacidosis. 34. Alpha-glucosidase inhibitors Alpha-glucosidase inhibitors may be the least effective but are still useful in certain cases. Examples include A-carbose and miglitol. 35. Mechanism of action of alpha-glucosidase inhibitors Alpha-glucosidase inhibitors slow intestinal carbohydrate digestion or absorption, helping control postprandial glucose levels. 36. Benefits of alpha-glucosidase inhibitors The benefits of these inhibitors include a low risk of hypoglycemia and a decrease in postprandial glucose excursions, and they act non-systemically. 37. Safety concerns of alpha-glucosidase inhibitors However, they may have modest A1C efficacy and be associated with GI side effects and a frequent dosing schedule. 38. Lifestyle management tips alongside medication Lifestyle management plays a critical role in diabetes care. Strategies such as low-carb diets, intermittent fasting, and regular exercise can be highly effective in managing blood sugar. 39. Low-carb diets and type 2 diabetes Low-carb diets have been shown to have a positive impact on diabetes, potentially leading to diabetes remission without adverse consequences. 40. Benefits of intermittent fasting Intermittent fasting offers a range of benefits, including weight loss, reduced insulin resistance, reduced inflammation, improved lipid profiles, and increased brain-derived neurotrophic factor BDNF, production. In conclusion, drug informatics in pharmacy is a dynamic field that encompasses a wide range of medications and treatment options. It's essential for healthcare professionals to stay informed about the latest developments in drug therapy, safety concerns, and lifestyle management strategies to provide the best possible care for patients. Certainly, let's craft lectures for each of the listed terms to emphasize the main ideas and concepts. Lecture 1, Drug Information in Pharmacy Title, Drug Information, The Pharmacists Speak an Introduction, Welcome to today's lecture on Drug Information in Pharmacy. In this session, we will explore the crucial role of pharmacists in providing accurate and complete responses to drug information requests. Main Ideas 1. The Importance of Drug Information Pharmacists as Key Sources of Drug Information Ensuring Safe and Effective Medication Use 2. Challenges in Drug Information Keeping Current Resources Dealing with Inaccurate Information Conclusion Pharmacists are trusted providers of drug information, making patient safety and well-being their top priority. Lecture 2, Trust in Pharmacists as Drug Experts Title, Trust in Pharmacists, 
Guardians of Drug Expertise Introduction, in this lecture, we'll discuss the critical role of pharmacists as drug experts and trusted providers of drug information. Main Ideas, 1. The Role of Pharmacists, Drug Experts in the Healthcare Team Ensuring Medication Safety 2. Building Trust, Demonstrating Expertise and Reliability Patient-Centered Care Conclusion Trust in pharmacists is paramount for effective healthcare and medication management. Lecture 3, Challenges in Drug Information Title, Navigating Challenges in Drug Information Introduction, Today, we'll explore the challenges faced by pharmacists in keeping up with drug information and managing inaccuracies. Main Ideas, 1. Keeping Current Resources, Continuous Learning and Updates Evolving Drug Landscape 2. Handling inaccurate information, critical evaluation of sources. The impact on patient care. Conclusion, pharmacists play a pivotal role in overcoming challenges in drug information to ensure safe and effective medication use. Lecture 4, Physicians and Technology in Healthcare Title, Physicians and Technology, Navigating the Digital Healthcare Landscape Introduction. This lecture delves into how physicians use mobile devices for healthcare tasks and accessing drug information. Main Ideas, 1 Digital Healthcare Revolution, Mobile Devices in Clinical Practice Immediate Access to Medical Resources 2 Physicians and Drug Information, Quick Decision Making Evidence-Based Practice Conclusion, Physicians Harness Technology to Enhance Patient Care, Including Drug Information Retrieval Lecture 5, Patients and Technology, Younger Generation Title, Patients and Technology, The Digital Generation's Drug Information Quest Introduction, In this lecture, we examine how younger patients primarily use the Internet for drug information. Main Ideas, 1 Internet as a Primary Source, Accessible Information Challenges of Internet Sourced Information 2 Empowering Patients Encouraging Responsible Information Seeking Enhancing Patient-Provider Communication Conclusion, the younger generation is tech-savvy, but healthcare professionals must guide them in using online resources responsibly. Lecture 6, Patients and Technology, Older Generation Title, Patients and Technology, The Wisdom of Seeking a Healthcare Provider Introduction, Today we explore how older patients prefer healthcare providers as their primary source of drug information. Main Ideas, 1. Trust in healthcare providers, established relationships. Confidence in expert guidance. 2. Bridging the gap, encouraging digital literacy. Adapting to patients' needs. Conclusion, older patients value the expertise of healthcare providers in navigating drug information. Lecture 7. Patients and Technology, Evaluating Internet Information Title, Patients and Technology, Navigating the Internet for Drug Information Introduction, Let's discuss how individuals, not affiliated with healthcare, may struggle to evaluate the validity of online drug information. Main Ideas, 1 Digital Literacy, Varying Skills in Assessing Online Information, Identifying Trustworthy Sources, 2 Promoting Health Literacy, education for consumers encouraging critical thinking conclusion enhancing digital literacy and health education is vital for individuals seeking drug information online lecture 8 
Pharmacists' Role in Drug Information Title, Empowering Pharmacists, The Key to Effective Drug Information Introduction, this lecture highlights the pharmacist's pivotal role in knowing available drug information resources and using them effectively. Main Ideas, 1. Information Resource Management, Utilizing Electronic Databases Accessing Primary Literature for Clinical Questions 2. Efficiency in Drug Information, Fast and Accurate Responses Patient-Centric Care Conclusion Pharmacists are vital in ensuring efficient and evidence-based drug information management. Lecture on Drug Information Pharmacists as providers of accurate and complete responses Ladies and gentlemen, today, we're going to discuss the crucial role of pharmacists in providing accurate and complete responses to drug information D, requests. We'll approach this topic following the remarkable teaching style of Richard Feynman. Let's start by emphasizing the main concepts. 1. Introduction to Drug Information Drug Information D, is a cornerstone of healthcare decision-making. It involves providing accurate and comprehensive responses to questions about medications. Pharmacists play a central role in this process. 2. Trust in Pharmacists One of the primary ideas we need to understand is the trust placed in pharmacists. Patients, other healthcare professionals, and the general public recognize pharmacists as drug experts and providers of D. This trust is crucial in ensuring accurate and safe medication use. 3. Challenges in drug information While pharmacists are trusted sources of D, they face several challenges, including keeping current with rapidly changing D resources and dealing with occasionally inaccurate information. We'll explore how they address these challenges effectively. Now, Let's take a look at a specific scenario to understand how pharmacists handle D requests. 4. A clinical scenario Imagine you are a pharmacist, and a physician approaches you with a clinical question. They're seeking information to compare the effectiveness of clopidogrel and ticagrelor for steamy patients going for emergency PCI. 5. Addressing the question when you are sure if you have the answer, your response should follow Feynman's teaching, acknowledge the question, provide your conclusion, elaborate on the answer, and encourage further inquiries. This transparent and comprehensive approach ensures effective communication. 6. Addressing the question when you are not sure but what if you are not entirely sure? Acknowledge the question, provide what you know, specify when you will follow up with additional information, and confirm the method of communication. Transparency and accountability are paramount. 7. How to look up the question in either case, looking up the question is a critical step. For clinical questions, it involves classifying the question and using electronic databases for specific information. For medication-related questions, you might delve into the primary literature. 8. Utilizing PubMed PubMed is a fantastic resource for searching clinical literature. You can find research articles, clinical trials, and systematic reviews that provide evidence-based answers to your questions. 9. Conclusion Pharmacists as the experts in conclusion, pharmacists are not just dispensers of medications, they are the go-to experts for D. Their ability to provide accurate and complete responses, their commitment to transparency, and their skill in navigating diverse resources make them invaluable in healthcare. Now, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to ask. 
Lecture on Patients and Technology, Younger Patients and the Internet Hello everyone, in today's lecture, we will discuss the impact of technology on patient behavior and, specifically, the younger generation's reliance on the Internet as their primary source of drug information, D. We'll explore this topic following the teaching style of the renowned physicist Richard Feynman. 1. Patients and Technology The advent of technology has transformed how patients seek information about their health and medications. In this lecture, we'll focus on how younger patients are increasingly turning to the Internet for drug information. 2. Younger Patients and the Internet Younger patients, often referred to as digital natives, have grown up in a world filled with technology. They are more likely to embrace the Internet as their primary source of D. 3. The Information Age We live in the information age, where access to knowledge is just a click away. The Internet provides an overwhelming amount of information, including information about medications and health. 4. The challenge of information overload While the Internet is a valuable resource, the sheer volume of information can be overwhelming. Younger patients must learn to navigate through the sea of data to find reliable and accurate data. 5. Trust and Validity One of the key challenges for younger patients is discerning trustworthiness and validity. Not all information found on the Internet is accurate or evidence-based. This is where the role of healthcare professionals becomes crucial. 6. The role of pharmacists Pharmacists, as trusted healthcare providers, can play a pivotal role in guiding younger patients on how to evaluate the validity of did they find on the Internet. They can teach critical thinking skills and provide reliable sources. 7. Richard Feynman's approach In the spirit of Richard Feynman, we encourage young patients to approach Internet-based did with curiosity and skepticism. They should ask questions, cross-reference information, and seek guidance when in doubt. 8. Conclusion Embracing technology with caution In conclusion, younger patients' use of the Internet as their primary source of D is a reflection of the digital age we live in. However, they must approach this technology with caution, and pharmacists are here to help them navigate the vast sea of information. Okay, good afternoon. It is so good, it is so thrilling, it is so exciting. Today we're going to switch things up a bit. We're going to be having a vis-a-vis, tete-a-tete conversation on pharmaceutical chemistry. Um, so, uh, I won't be referencing the notes of some of my professors. However, I won't be showing the notes. I'll be referencing the notes. Um, it'll just be an audio discussion with, with uh, the notes uh, being referenced. So the first topic for today would be serotonergic and antidepressant agents. A reference to the notes of specifically Dr. A. Kulkarni. Um, so let's just go through them. Some introductory ideas, the biosynthesis and metabolism of serotonin, receptor types and subtypes, as well as... We're going to be looking at uh, targeting and serotonergic signaling. And then we'll conclude um, for that topic. Uh, but this is going to be a long episode, very, very long episode, because we're going to go through serotonergic and antidepressants, opioid agents, cholinergic agents, 
as well as some fundamental ideas associated with pharmaceutical chemistry. So let's begin. Let's begin. Okay, so serotonin. Serotonin, otherwise known as 5-hydroxytryptamine, or 5-HT, was identified as a neuroreceptor ligand in in the late 1940s. Serotonin is associated with depression slash anxiety, schizophrenia, hallucinations, drug abuse, appetite control, vomiting, etc. Just a quick note, these episodes are not intended for medical advice, counseling, or suggestions. Please refer and consult the relevant medical professionals, whether it be your physician, your GP, your general practitioner, your physician, your NP, your nurse practitioner, your physician assistant, as well as your pharmacist. Um, Make sure they are licensed in the state and registered with the board as well. So, continuing on, advances in histochemical fluorescence techniques led to the application of radioligand binding assays for 5-HT and elucidated the pathophysiological role in a variety of aforementioned disorders, so depression, schizophrenia, obesity, etc. It is also established, uh, it is also established that types and subtypes also refer to as, as families and subfamilies, so the types and subtypes are also referred to as families and, sub- and subfamilies of the serotonergic receptors, similar to opioid receptors. Okay, so now I'm not going to show any structures in this. This is going to be a tete-a-tete, a face-to-face conversation about these concepts. So serotonin, biosynthesis, and metabolism. Hydroxylation at the five position by tryptophan hydroxylase present in the serotonergic neurons. So let's just delve into what's happening with this serotonin biosynthesis pathway. Let's delve in a bit. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. So if we look closer or closely at the pathway, we see tryptophan goes through tryptophan hydroxylase. So tryptophan, which has a characteristic indole functionality. So has a characteristic indole functionality, so an aromatic functionality, and the classic amino acid uh, backbone structure with your carboxylic acid, your alpha carbon, with the substituted amino acid through or is processed by aromatic amino acid decarboxylase to form summation of methyl-hydroxytryptophan. So moving right along, Serotonin release, uptake, and signaling. Biosynthesis takes place in serotonergic neurons. Biosynthesis, release, and reuptake mechanisms similar to other receptors. Uh, is similar to the re- biosynthesis release and reuptake mechanisms are similar um, to what occurs in other neuroreceptors. The serotonin is stored in presynaptic neuronal vesicles. When released, serotonin interacts with the postsynaptic serotonergic receptors. So the action of 5-hydroxytryptophan is terminated either by its diffusion away from the synapse with subsequent metabolism or reuptake mechanism back to the presynaptic neuron. So serotonin transporter, also known as 5-HTT, is a sodium-dependent monoamine transporter protein. So when we talk about some of these neurotransmitters 
we recognize that they are monoamines. And that's the case with many of the catechol amines. So catechol, the catechol functional, catechol group, catechol structure, and catechol amine. Um, so like dopamine, norepinephrine, serotonin, those types of things. Um, so moving right along, monoamine transporter protein, and it's also a druggable target for the development of antidepressants. So that, that's an important point to take note of. Serotonin transporter, also known as 5-HTT, is a sodium-dependent monoamine transporter protein and is a druggable target for the development of antidepressants. So seven types of 5-hydroxytryptophan, there are seven types of 5-hydroxytryptophan receptors denoted by 5-HT1 to 5-HT7. All except 5-HT3 are coupled to G proteins. 5-HT3 is a ligand-gated ion channel selective for sodium cations and potassium cations. Okay, so serotonin receptor types. So you have the 5-HT1 family. So further divided, subdivided into six subfamilies, 5-HT1A to 5-HT1. F, 5-HT1F, so 5-HT1A to 5-HT1F, subfamilies are present in the CNS, so 5-HT1A through E, also found in blood vessels is involved in functions such as anxiety, addiction, vasoconstriction, etc. With the exception of 5-HT1E, all other receptors of this family exhibit high affinity for 5-carboxamidotryptophan. So with the exception of 5-HT1E, all other receptors of this family exhibit high affinity for 5-carboxamidotryptophan. So uh, also, um, 8-hydroxy-2-di-n-propylaminotetraline or OHO or 8-OH-DPAT represents a selective 5-HT1A agonist. Very important. 8-hydroxy-2-di-n-propylaminotetraline or 8-OH-DPAT represents a selective 5-HT1A agonist. This suggests that an intact indole nucleus is not required for 5-HT1A agonism. Let's keep going. Okay, so 5-HT1A selective agonists. And we're looking specifically at long-chain aryl piperazines. So long-chain aryl piperazines. Or piperazines. So long-chain long chain aryl piperazines. LCAPs. LCAPs possessing long-chain substituents at the N4 pyrazine show good selectivity for 5-HT1A. So long-chain aryl-papyrazines possessing long-chain substituents at N4 pyrazine show good selectivity for 5-HT1A. Buspirone was the first agent in this class approved as an anxiolytic drug. Structurally related compounds 
Caperone, Tandosperone, and Ipsaperone. These agents act either as a full or partial agonist of 5-HT1A. So remember, an agonist has 100% efficacy. Partial agonist has about 0 to 100. Falls in that range of 0 to 100 efficacy or intrinsic activity. Um, and we're talking in respect to the endogenous ligand for the receptor. And that's a, that. those concepts have been discussed in the previous episode. So agonism, antagonism, partial agonism, inverse agonism, all those other good stuff. So, uh, continuing on, general structure, you typically have the aryl group, the pyrazine group, your spacer, so your methylene spacer, and then you have the terminus. Agents containing phenyl, substituted phenyl, heteroaryl, all of those groups show good activity. So, agents containing phenyl, a substituted phenyl, heteroaryl, all of those groups all show good activity. Changes in the papyrazine structure are not tolerated. Important to note. Changes in the papyrazine structure are not tolerated. The placement of the amide or the imide groups at the terminus is essential for good activity. One more time. Placement of the amide or the or and or the imide groups at the terminus is essential for good activity. All of the drugs shown above have an imide, I-M-I-D-E, imide moiety in the terminus very important to note very very important okay so 5-HT1 a selective antagonist so remember antagonist just blocks the function of the agonist some compounds belonging to this class display structural features similar to classical agonist buspirone so some compounds belonging to this class display structural features similar to classical agonist, buspirone. However, the aryl portion is usually comprised of two methoxyphenyl moiety. So the aryl portion is usually comprised of a, of a two methoxyphenyl moiety. Agents such as uh, WAY100-135 or WAY106-35 are referred to as a silent 5-HT1A antagonist since they lack any agonist activity. So spirone is a 5-HT1A antagonist, but also displays high antagonist affinity for 5-HT2A and D2 receptors. So spirone is used for the treatment of schizophrenia. So when we talk about spir, we're talking about those spirocycles, so spirocyclic functionalities okay so let's keep going clinical significance of 5-HT1A agonists and antagonists drug development efforts explore the 5-HT1A agonists as therapeutic targets for depression and anxiety there seems to be good correlation between 5-HT metabolism and higher tendency towards depression aggression etc so drug development exports so we're talking about the clinical significance of 5-ht1a agonists and antagonists so drug development efforts explored 5-ht1a agonists as therapeutic targets for depression and anxiety there seems to be a good correlation between 5-ht metabolism and higher tendency towards depression 
aggression, etc. Gepirone produced significant symptomatic relief in patients with depression. Buspirone was effective in the treatment of mixed anxious slash depressive patients. Mixed anxious hyphen depressive patients. So lack of select lack of five HT1A antagonists. Lack of selectivity in or with five HT1A antagonists. So the activity at other five HT receptor subtypes, dopaminergic receptors, etc., has limited the drug development efforts that specifically target receptors. This specifically targets that receptor. Compounds like LY426965 are more metabolically stable and also display improved oral bioavailability as compared to WAY compounds. So LY426965 is being developed as a smoking cessation drug. So let's keep going. 5-HT1D receptor selective ligands. So sumatriptan, imatrex, was identified as the first 5-HT10 selective agonist with only modest selectivity, 2 through 24 for its affinity toward 5-HT receptors, particularly 5-HT1A and 5-HT1F. Sumatriptan belongs to the indole alkylamine class of compounds. For example, Zomatriptan, Zomig, Nauratriptan, Emerge, Nisotriptan, Maxalt. These agents bind and display high affinity and improved selectivity for 5-HT1D. Agents like somatriptan, nisotriptan, possess superior ability to cross the blood-brain barrier and are used for the treatment of migraine, cluster headaches, etc. Okay, so 5-HT2 receptor family. In general, 5-HT2 family of receptors are found in the CNS, blood vessels, GI tract, peripheral nervous system, and in smooth muscles. This receptor family is considered as a therapeutic target for the development of antipsychotics, anxiolytics, anorectics, to so appetite suppressant agents. The subfamilies 5-HT2A, 5-HT2B, and 5-HT2C. There is significant amino acid sequence homology between 5-HT2A and 5-HT2C, greater than 78%. This explains the overlap in ligand affinities for these two receptor subfamilies. Classic hallucinogenic drugs like lysergic acid, diethylamide, act as full or partial agonists for this receptor. So, partial or full antagonism for this receptor occurs with drugs, classic hallucinogenic drugs like lysergic acid diethylamide. The lack of type and subtype selectivity coupled with strong hallucinogenic potential has limited the use of 5-HT2A agonists. Okay, so 5-HT2A receptor antagonists N-alkylpyridines 
constitute a major class of selective 5-HT2A antagonists. Best known examples are ketan, serine, retan, serine, etc. These agents belonging to this class in general exhibit greater receptor selectivity for 5-HT2A slash 2C. So ketanserin is used for its antihypertensive properties. Retanserin was investigated for the treatment of schizophrenia. So atypical antipsychotics such as risperidone, used for schizophrenia and bipolar disorder treatment. Clozapine, used for schizophrenia and anti-suicidal drug. And olanzapine, schizophrenia and bipolar treatment, also exhibit 5-HT2A antagonist properties. Unlike typical antipsychotics, these newer compounds have a lower tendency to exhibit extra pyramidal side effects such as tardive dyskinesia, so stiff uncontrolled body movements. Tricyclic antidepressants also are antagonists for 5-HT2A. So let's keep going. 5-HT2B and 5-HT2C receptor subfamilies. 5-HT2B receptors are present in the CNS and cardiovascular system. They are known to cause pulmonary vasoconstriction. Many ligands that bind to 5-HT2B receptor also bind to 5-HT receptors, and there is no approved drug that specifically targets 5-HT2B signaling. 5-HT2C receptors, so at this, at, to date, at, this, at, at the point of this reading, there was none that was seen by uh, myself and or the person who wrote this, these set of notes. The 5-HT2C receptors play a role in regulation of mood, anxiety, and feeding, etc. So the lorcasserin, the 5-HT2C selective agonist, has been approved as a weight loss drug. And common side effects include headache, side effects like depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, also uncommon, have been reported for, although uncommon, have been reported for lorcasserin. Okay, so 5-HT3 receptor family. So here we have the ligand-gated ion channel selected for sodium cations and potassium cations and not GPCRs. Its structure is comprised of five subunits around a central ion conducting pore permeable to sodium, potassium, and calcium ions. Biomology is closely related to nicotinic acetylcholine receptor. So homology common ancestor. So agonist activation leads to the activation of the nausea and vomiting center in the brain stem. When activated, these receptors are also reported to cause seizures. 5-HT3 antagonists have also been used as anti-emetic agents. These agents not only improve the quality of life, they also allow for the increasing dosing. So increasing, they also allow for increasing the dose intensity of many chemotherapeutic agents, increasing the response rates for anti-cancer treatments. Patients taking paclitaxel, cyclophosphamide, and 5-FU, so 5-fluorouracil, and other emesis-prone drugs are often pre-dosed with anti-emetic agents. So, 5-HT3 receptor antagonists. 
Bemestron was identified as one of the first five HT3 selective antagonists. Many agents belonging to this class contain tropane or a tropane-like nucleus bearing a basic amine. Tropicitron, so an antiemetic, and ricacitron, anxiolytic, zatocitron, anti-nausea compound with anxiolytic properties, are examples of tropane containing 5-HT3 antagonists. Ondansitron and renzapride, both antiemetic compounds during cancer chemotherapy, gastroenteritis, etc. Palo Palonosetron, chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting, are examples of non-tropane-containing 5-HG3 antagonists. Regardless of the presence or absence of the tropane ring, all of these compounds possess at least one set of protonation. And Zapride is also a full 5-HG4 agonist and 5-HT2B antagonist. Okay, so 5-HT4 receptor. It belongs to the GPCR superfamily. It is coupled, it is coupled with GS agonist resulting, excuse me. It belongs to the GPCR superfamily. It is coupled with GS agonist. Activation results in increased intracellular cyclic AMP, so cyclic adenosine monophosphate levels, primarily located in the CNS, gastrointestinal tract, urinary bladder, heart, etc. 5-HT4 agonists include cisapride, mosapride, brucalopride, and renzapride. Okay, 5-HT4 receptor. Cisapride increases the motility of the upper GI tract and is used to enhance gastric emptying. Serious side effects include drug-induced arrhythmia. Mosapride promotes gastric emptying and is used for the treatment of gastro- esophageal reflux disease, GERD, irritable bowel syndrome, etc. Pucalopride is used for the colonic motility, mobility. Pucalopride is used for the colonic mobility. It does not induce arrhythmias. Sacopride, renzopride, and mosopride are also 5-HT3 antagonists. Sacopride displays anxiolytic properties at the therapeutic dose. Structurally, all of these compounds contain a primary aralamine as part of an aniline or dihydrobenzofuran ring. So 5-HT4 receptor agonists and antagonists. So 5-HT4 receptor agonists. Tegaserod was introduced as a 5-HT4 agonist for the treatment of irritable bowel syndrome, but was later withdrawn after reports of increased heart attack and stroke. It is also a 5-HT2B receptor antagonist. 5-HT4 receptor antagonist. Fibosarod was developed for the treatment of atrial fibrillation, AFib. The drug was also developed as a potential therapy for heart failure. 5-HT5-7 through receptors. 5-HT5 receptors are predominantly found in the brain and are further subdivided into 5-HT5A and 5-HT5B receptor subfamilies. So 5-carboxamidotryptophan is a non-selective agonist for this receptor. One more time, 5-carboxamidotryptophan is a non-selective agonist for this receptor. 
HT6 receptors present in CNS and plays a role in motor control, emotional stability, cognition, and memory. So 5-HT6 antagonists have been shown to reduce appetite and promote weight loss. 5-HT7 receptor is found in the central nervous system and in the cardiovascular system. It is involved in thermoregulation, circadian rhythm, learning and memory is also investigated as a target for depression. So serotonin reuptake transporter. Serotonin, serotonin transporter, CERT or 5-HTT, is a monoamine transporter protein that transports serotonin from the synaptic cleft to the presynaptic neuron. It belongs to the monoamine transporter protein family. CERT regulates the duration and magnitude of the postsynaptic response to 5-HT and allows the body to, reu to reuse serotonin and prevents the need for constant biosynthesis. CERT comprises of 12 transmembrane helices, both amine and carboxyterminae are present intracellularly. It exhibits 50% homology with norepinephrine reuptake transporter and dopamine transporter, etc. So serotonin reuptake transporter. Serotonin reuptake transporter is an attractive target for drug development. Agents that block CERT, so serotonin reuptake transporter, increase the synaptic resonance of 5-HT are used for the treatment of a, variety, of a variety of disorders such as depression, obsessive compulsive disorders, panic disorders, and anxiety. Tricyclic antidepressants such as amitriptyline serve as non-selective blockers for CERT and NET. Their active metabolites may also block CERT and NET with varying degrees of selectivity. Selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors are much more selective for CERT over NET and lack most of the activity at other receptors as seen in tricyclic antidepressants. Examples of this class include fluoxetine, peroxetine, fluvoxamine, cetraline, acetalopram, trazodone, etc. Agents such as vilazodone act directly on 5-HT receptors, so 5-HT1A agonists, and also and are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Peroxidine Paxil is used as an antidepressant for the treatment of major depressive disorder, social anxiety disorder, panic disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, etc. Common side effects include drowsiness, dry mouth, trouble sleeping, asthenia, so general weakness, sexual dysfunction, loss of libido, erectile dysfunction, etc. In general, these class of compounds possess at least two hour rings and sites of protonation. In general, excuse me, now these class possess at least two hour wings. Chemically, peroxidine is a peroxidine is a secondary amine containing compound and it contains four rings. Okay, fluoxidine, so Prozac, is used for similar conditions as peroxidine. In addition, it is also used to treat binge eating disorder. 
Common side effects are similar to paroxetine. In addition, this drug is reported to cause discontinuation syndrome. Rapid discontinuation of therapy causes dizziness, disturbances, imbalance, tinging, numbness, electrical shock-like sensations, etc. Paroxetine and other SSRIs when taken with mal may cause serotonin syndrome. Symptoms include fever, agitation, diarrhea, seizures, muscle weakness, etc. Thus, these drugs are contraindicated in patients taking mal inhibitors. So, when taking, excuse me, fluoxetine and other selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, when taken with mal inhibitors, may cause serotonin syndrome. These symptoms include fever, agitation, diarrhea, seizures, muscle weakness, etc. Thus, these drugs are contraindicated in patients taking mal inhibitors. Fluoxetine is a CYP2D6 inhibitor and in some cases is contraindicated in dextromethorphan containing cold and cough medications. It blocks dextromethorphan metabolism. So selective, not selective, serotonin reuptake transporter. So uh, Serotonin, we're focusing on the serotonin reuptake transporters. Trazodone is indicated as an antidepressant for the treatment of major depressive disorder, anxiety disorders, and also to treat alcohol dependence. Unlike paroxetine, the drug does not display anticholinergic side effects. Instead, it is used to report it is reported to cause fainting, increase in suicidal thoughts, cause arrhythmias, etc. Overdose may lead to serotonin syndrome discussed previously. Okay, Velazodone is a, both a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor and a 5-HT1A agonist. It does not display strong affinity for other serotonin receptors and selective for serotonin reuptake transporters versus norepinephrine transporters or dopamine transporters. Nausea, diarrhea, vomiting, dry mouth are common symptoms. Paresthesia, so tingling, pricking, numbness, etc. are also reported. When overdose, the drug is known to cause serotonin syndrome. Okay, so that's the end of the serotonin segment. Once upon a time, in a quaint village nestled deep within the enchanted forest, there lived a wise pharmacist named Alera. She was known far and wide for her vast knowledge of drug informatics in the realm of pharmacy. Her knowledge extended beyond the ordinary, thanks to the enchanted clinical keys, Elsevier's global clinical reference, which held the secrets of the most potent remedies and healing concoctions. Ilera had consulted with over 2,000 doctors from across the world, drawing invaluable information from clinical pharmacology, a mystical repository of drug monographs, pediatric remedies, drug class overviews, and patient education. The clinical pharmacology was a tertiary reference, akin to the micrometics, and was reserved for health professionals who sought its wisdom. But the clinical pharmacology was not the only magical tome in Alera's possession. It was available by subscription only, its pages unlocking the secrets of medicines and dosages known to few. As a guardian of this knowledge, Alera understood that with great power came great responsibility. In the realm of pharmacy, glucose was a precious elixir, a simple sugar that served as the primary source of energy for all living beings. Its normal range was 70 to 100 mg/dl, 
and Alara knew the importance of maintaining this balance in the body. Recent statistics had revealed a troubling increase in diabetes mellitus cases, with 37.3 million souls afflicted, a staggering 11.3% of the kingdom's population. Among them, 28.7 million had received a diagnosis, while 8.5 million lived unaware of the ailment that lurked within them. Over the last decade, the incidence of newly diagnosed diabetes had risen, casting a shadow of concern. In the world of diabetes, two theories had taken root. The internal resistance theory spoke of the lack of glucose inside cells, while the overflow paradigm warned of excess glucose accumulating within. Ilera's knowledge extended to the many medications available to lower glucose levels. Some medications, like biguanides and thiazolidindians, increased insulin sensitivity, while others, like glinides and sulfonylureas, boosted insulin secretion. Then, there were the incretin-based therapies, such as DPP-4 inhibitors and GLP receptor agonists, each with its own unique magic. Other agents, like SGLT2 inhibitors, amylin analogs, and alpha-glycosidase inhibitors, added to the arsenal of glucose-lowering medications. And in times of dire need, there was always the faithful insulin to come to the rescue. Sulfonylureas, however, had their own set of enchantments. They increased insulin secretion, but their use came with the risks of hypoglycemia, weight gain, and, in some studies, increased mortality. In the world of diabetes, Ilera knew the importance of choosing the right potion. The first-generation sulfonylureas, like chloroprochamide, had their loyal followers, but the second generation, including glymburide and gliburide, had gained prominence. Thiazolidindians, or glitazones, were known for their ability to increase insulin sensitivity and lower A1C efficacy. They were like wizards in their own right, but their enchantments came with side effects like edema, heart failure, bone fractures, and increased LDL-CDPP4 inhibitors, on the other hand, were subtle in their actions. They blocked the DPP-4 enzyme, ensuring that GLP-1 could work its magic to stimulate insulin secretion and suppress glucagon. They were safer in terms of hypoglycemia but had their own set of concerns, including angioedema, urticaria, acute pancreatitis, and heart failure hospitalizations. Biglanides, such as metformin, worked by reducing hepatic glucose production and enhancing insulin sensitivity. They had a reputation for low hypoglycemia risk and relatively high A1C efficacy, but they were not without their share of side effects, including gastrointestinal discomfort and vitamin B12 deficiency. GLP-1 receptor agonists were another mystical class of medications. They slowed gastric emptying, reduced appetite, and decreased postprandial glucose, making them a valuable tool in the battle against diabetes. However, they brought their own set of side effects, including gastrointestinal discomfort and an increase in heart rate. SGLT2 inhibitors were like guardians of the kidneys, blocking glucose reabsorption and ensuring it was excreted in the urine. They had a low risk of hypoglycemia, decreased weight, and lower blood pressure as their allies, but they also faced genitourinary infections, increased LDLC, and the risk of diabetic ketoacidosis. And then there were the humble alpha-glycosidase inhibitors, the least used but not to be underestimated. 
They slowed intestinal carbohydrate digestion and had the power to decrease postprandial glucose, all without causing systemic side effects. In the enchanted world of pharmacy, Ilara knew that the right potion could be a lifesaver, but it was essential to choose wisely. Whether it was a simple glucose elixir or a complex concoction of diabetes medications, the pharmacist's knowledge held the power to heal and protect the people of the realm. With her clinical keys, clinical pharmacology, and a heart filled with compassion, Ilara continued her quest to keep the kingdom healthy, one prescription at a time. And in the end, it was her dedication to the art of drug informatics in pharmacy that made her a true hero in the world of fairy tales and beyond. Once upon a time in a magical land known as Pharmacia, there was a beautiful kingdom filled with the most knowledgeable healers and pharmacists. These wise individuals held the key to a secret treasure known as Clinical Keys, a valuable source of information that was guarded with the utmost care. In the heart of Pharmacia, there was a grand castle where the Pharmacy and Therapeutics P &T, committee convened to make important decisions about the kingdom's health care. The committee consisted of various members, including physicians, pharmacists, nurses, and other health care providers. The chairman, a wise physician, and the secretary, the director of pharmacy, played crucial roles in ensuring that the meetings were productive. One day, a great challenge arose in the kingdom. There was a shortage of a vital potion that was needed to treat a rare ailment. This potion had saved many lives, and its absence was causing concern among the kingdom's inhabitants. The P&T committee, recognizing their role as the guardians of healthcare, gathered to address the issue. They were faced with a difficult decision, to find a suitable substitute for the potion and ensure that it was both safe and cost-effective. This was a matter of great importance as they couldn't afford to make any mistakes. To make the right decision, the committee relied on the principles of evidence-based medicine. They carefully reviewed the available research and consulted their precious clinical keys. These keys contained information from clinical pharmacology, a trusted source drawn upon by more than 2,000 doctors worldwide. The kingdom's health professionals, including the physicians and pharmacists, had access to clinical keys, which were available by subscription only. The P&T committee decided to convene a grand assembly with the help of their clinical keys. They discussed the potential substitutes for the potion, considering factors such as safety, efficacy, and cost-effectiveness. They also assessed the risk of side effects, interactions, and any other concerns that might affect the kingdom's citizens. The wise pharmacists, who were experts in drug information, presented the findings from their research, they shared information about the various types of medications available, including drugs that increased insulin sensitivity, insulin secretagogues, incretin-based therapies, and other agents like SGLT2 inhibitors, alpha-glycosidase inhibitors, and more. The chairman of the P&T committee, supported by the expertise of the pharmacists, made the final decision. They selected a substitute for the potion that was not only effective but also safe for the kingdom's inhabitants. The decision was based on rigorous data collection, risk assessment, and careful consideration of all available evidence. As a result of the P&T Committee's dedication to evidence-based medicine and their reliance on clinical keys, the Kingdom of Pharmacia continued to thrive. The health professionals remained trusted sources of drug information, and the citizens received the best possible care, ensuring the well-being of the entire kingdom.
And so, in the enchanting land of Pharmacia, the tale of the P&T Committee and the invaluable clinical keys became a legendary story of wisdom, evidence, and the pursuit of the best possible healthcare for all. D-Exam 2 Study Set 1 What are some information related to clinical keys, Elsevier's Global Clinical Reference 2? Involved consulting more than 2,000 doctors across the world. 3. Draws information from clinical pharmacology 4. Considered as tertiary references, Micromedux, 5. Target for Health Professional 6. Available by subscription only. 2. What are some key aspects of clinical pharmacology? 1. Drug monographs detailed drug information for prescriptions, over-the-counter medicines, herbal remedies, vitamins 2. Pediatric monographs Harriet Lane Handbook Content 3. Drug class overviews 4. Patient drug and disease education. 3. What are the key types of information available on clinical pharmacology? Dash, 1. For compatibility 2. Toxicology resource poison and overdose emergencies management information 3. Custom reports allow users to compare drug products or screen for the therapeutic issues. Medication alerts. 4. Electronic databases only, no print counterpart peer reviewed. 4. What is glucose? Glucose is a simple sugar. It is an energy source, primary, ketone slash AA it is used almost by all cells in the body. Normal range is 70 to 100 mg slash DL5. What are some recent diabetes mellitus statistics? 1. The total number of people with diabetes is 37.3 million people that have diabetes, 11.3% of the USD exam 2 study set population, 2. Total diagnosed patients with diabetes include, 28.7 million people, including 28.5 million adults. 3. Toll undiagnosed patients, 8.5 million people, 23.0% of adults are undiagnosed. 6. How much has diabetes increased over the last 10 years? CDC reported that the incidence of new onset diagnosed diabetes 7. What are the different theories associated with diabetes? There are two different theories associated with diabetes internal resistance, one internal starvation theory, which refers to lack of glucose inside the cells. Two overflow paradigm refers to excess glucose accumulation inside the cells. Eight what are the currently available glucose lowering medications? Specifically drugs that increase insulin sensitivity, one drugs that increase insulin sensitivity, abiguanides, metformin, Thiazolidinedians 9. What are the currently available glucose-lowering medications? Specifically what are the insulin secretagogues? The insulin secretagogues are glinides and sulfonylureas. 10. What are the currently available glucose-lowering medications? Specifically what are incretin-based therapies? 1. DPP-4 inhibitors 2. GLP receptor agonists 11. What are the currently available glucose-lowering medications? Specifically what are the other agents, other agents, 1 SGLT2 inhibitors 2, amylin analog 3, alpha-glycosidase inhibitors 12. What is another example of glucose-lowering medications, insulin, E. 13 What do sulfonylureas do? Part 1 Sulfonylureas increase insulin secretion. The benefits include that we, as healthcare providers, have extensive experience. Also, 
relatively higher A1C efficacy. 14. What are the safety concerns with sulfonylureas? Sulfonylureas use risks include hypoglycemia and increase in weight. Also in some studies, they increase mortality. 15. What are the first-generation sulfonylureas? An example of a first-generation sulfonylurea is chloropropamide. 16. What are the second-generation sulfonylureas? Second-generation, 1. Glymphuride, Amaryl, 2. Glyburide, Diabeta, Micronase, Glinase, D-Exam 2 Study Set 17. What is the mechanism and what are the benefits of thiazolidindians or glitazones? The mechanism of thiazolidindians increase insulin sensitivity. Also the benefits include, relatively higher A1C efficacy, and triglycerides, pioglitazone. 18. What are some of the safety concerns associated with glitazones? The safety concerns involve edema, that results in an increase in weight, heart failure, bone fracture, and increase in LDLC with rosiglitazone. It is important to note that FDA temporarily imposed strict limits on the Avondia's use following reports of heart problems associated with the drug, but it remains available in the US. 19. What are DPP-4 inhibitors, and what are their roles? The types of DPP-4 inhibitors are, 1. Linagliptin, Trajantat, 2. Saxagliptin, Onglaza, 3. Citagliptin, Januvia, 4. Alogliptin, Nisana, 20. What are DPP-4 inhibitors, and what are their mechanisms of actions? DPP-4 inhibitors, mechanism of action involve food going to the small intestine, then DPP-4 enzyme inactivates GLP-1 and DPP-4 inhibitors block the DPP-4 enzyme. GLP-1 is an enzyme that functions to stimulate insulin secretion and suppresses glucagon secretion. Overall it results in an increase in insulin secretion and a decrease glucagon secretion. 21 What are the benefits of using DPP-4 inhibitors? They have a low risk of hypoglycemia. 22. What are some safety concerns with DPP-4 inhibitors? The safety concerns involve angioedema and urticaria, and other immune-mediated dermatological effects. Also, more safety concerns involve acute pancreatitis and heart failure hospitalizations. 23. What is the mechanism of action of biguanides, for example metformin? The mechanism of action involves reducing hepatic glucose production, and enhancing the insulin sensitivity. 24. What are the benefits of biguanides such as metformin? The benefits involve extensive experiences with low risk for hypoglycemia, and relatively higher A1C efficacy. 25. What are the safety concerns associated with using biguanides such as metformin? The safety concerns involve GI side effects, up to 30%. Vitamin B12 deficiency D-exam 2 study set lactic acidosis risk, contraindicated or use with caution when, a glomerular filtration rate is less than 30 ml per minute B the patient has heart failure C there is contract dye used. 26 What is the mechanism for GLP-1 receptor agonists? The mechanism of action involves the fact the GLP-1 receptor slows gastric emptying, increasing satiety increases insulin secretion and decreases glucagon, glucose dependent. 27 What are the benefits for GLP-1 receptor agonists? The benefits include reduce appetite, decreased weight, and decreased postprandial glucose. 28 What are safety concerns for GLP-1 receptor agonists? 
the safety concerns for GLP-1 receptor are, 1 GI side effects 2. Increase heart rate 3. C-cell hyperplasia slash metallary thyroid tumors in animals. 29 What are some examples of GLP-1 receptor agonists? 1. Lixazinatide, Adlixin, 2. Liraglutide, Victaza, 3. Semaglutide, Ozempic, 4. Exinatide QW, Bigerion, 5. Albiglutide, Aperson, 6. Oral semaglutide, Ribolsis, 30. What are some examples of SGLT2 inhibitors? 1. Canagliflozin, Invokana, 2. Dipaglifazin, Farxiga, 3. Impagliflozin, Jardiance, 31. What is the mechanism of SGLT2 inhibitors? The mechanism of SGLT2 is that is blocks glucose reabsorption by the kidney. The mechanism also involves glucosuria. 32 What are the benefits of SGLT2 inhibitors? 1 It has a low risk for hypoglycemia 2. Results in a decrease in weight 3. Results in a decrease in blood pressure. 33 What are the safety concerns for SGLT2 inhibitors? 1 The concerns are genitourinary infections 2. Urosepsis, pyelonephritis, polyuria 3. Increased amount of LDLC4. Increases the creatine level, transient, 5. Diabetic ketoacidosis 34. What are alpha-glucosidase inhibitors? These are the least effective and used drug, but very useful. D-exam 2 study set examples of these are, A-carbose, Precos, Miglitol, Glycet, 35. What is the mechanism of action of alpha-glucosidase inhibitors? Alpha-glucosidase inhibitors slow intestinal carbohydrate digestion and or absorption. 36. What are the benefits of alpha-glucosidase inhibitors? The benefits of alpha-glucosidase are low risk of hypoglycemia and decrease in postprandial glucose excursion, and it is non-systemic. 37. What are the safety concerns of alpha-glucosidase inhibitors? The safety concerns are generally modest A1C efficacy. Also there are concerns with GI side effects and frequent dosing schedule. 38. What some lifestyle management tips? 1. Low carb 2. Fasting 3. Exercise 39. What is the relationship between low carb diets and type 2 diabetes? On the basis of moderate to low certainty evidence, patients adhering to a low carbohydrate diet for 6 months might experience diabetes remission without adverse consequences. 40. What are the benefits of intermittent fasting? The benefits of intermittent fasting are 1. Weight loss 2. It can reduce insulin resistance, lowering blood sugar by 3 to 6% and insulin levels by 20 to 31%. 3. Reduces risk of inflammation 4. Reduces bad LDL cholesterol blood triglycerides, inflammatory markers, and blood sugar. 5. Increases the brain hormone brain-derived nootrophic factor, and may aid the growth of new nerve cells. Common types of questions from providers and search engines 1. Drug information, pharmacists providing accurate and complete responses to D requests 2. Trust in pharmacists, pharmacists recognized as drug experts and providers of D3. Challenges, keeping current D resources and dealing with sometimes inaccurate information 4. Physicians and technology, physicians using mobile devices for healthcare tasks slash questions 5.
patients and technology, younger patients using the internet as a primary source of disease. Patients and technology, older patients preferring to talk to a healthcare provider as the primary source of disease. Patients and technology, non-healthcare members may have fewer skills to evaluate the validity of disease received on the internet. Eight. Pharmacists' role in disease. Knowing available de resources and using them effectively and efficiently. Nine, a clinical question during rounds, comparing the effectiveness of clopidogrel and ticagrelor are for STEMI patients going for emergency PCI. Ten, addressing the question when you are sure, acknowledging the question, providing the conclusion, elaborating on the answer, and asking for follow-up questions. Eleven, addressing the question when you are not sure, acknowledging the question. Providing what you know, specifying the time frame for following up, and confirming the way of communication. Twelve. How to look up the question, classifying the question, utilizing electronic databases for mechanism of action, dose, route, side effects, or monitoring questions, and utilizing primary literature for clinical questions. Thirteen. PubMed, a database for searching clinical literature. Fourteen. A clinical question during rounds. Determining the proper dose for apixaban in an elderly patient with bad kidney function. 15. Micromedux, an electronic database for drug information. 16. Conclusion: Pharmacists as D experts, leaders in providing D, evolving field with new references and sources, and acquiring techniques to find high-quality information. 17. Active learning activity: Addressing the proper rivaroxaban dose for acute DVT. 18. Active learning, addressing the effect of benzodiazepines versus dexmedetomidine on delirium in the ICU pharmacy and therapeutics (P and T) committee. One, pharmacy and therapeutics (P and T) committee, an advisory group on safe and therapeutic use of medications. Two, membership composition includes physicians, pharmacists, nurses, and other healthcare providers. Three, chairman. A physician who advocates for the pharmacy department. Four. Secretary, director of pharmacy responsible for meeting agenda and minutes. Five. Meeting frequency, meets at least six times a year and as needed. Six. Role of P and T committee, oversees drug therapy, formulary management, and quality assurance. Seven. Drug shortages, P and T committee's responsibility to construct a formulary with safe and cost-effective drugs. Eight. Product shortage, supply issue affecting drug preparation, dispensing, or patient care. Nine. Case one, the wrong solution substitution. A drug shortage led to an incorrect substitution, resulting in a patient's death. Ten. Policies and procedures. P slash P required by the Joint Commission for certain types of medication orders. Eleven. Credentialing and privileges. Granting of privileges to prescribe specific drugs based on credentials. Twelve. Quality assurance activities includes medication quality assurance, adverse drug reactions, and medication errors. Thirteen. Who uses P and T committee, hospitals, health plans, prescription benefit managers, and government organizations? Fourteen. P and T committee functions policy development, communication, and education. And formulary management. 15. Formulary management: developing and maintaining an evidence-based list of medications. 16. Formulary system: 
method used to develop a drug list for treatment of disease states 17. Non-formulary NF, drugs, drugs not as clinically effective or cost-effective as others in the class 18. Drug monograph, provides information on indications, interactions, contraindications, and side effects of a drug 19. Adverse drug reactions vs side effects, adverse reactions are unintended effects, while side effects are secondary unwanted effects 20. Do, drug use evaluation ongoing evaluation of drug use at the individual patient level 21. Origin and description of terms, DER, or, DO, and MUE originated from different standards and expanded over time pharmacy and therapeutics, P&T, Committee 22. Steps of DO, establish responsibility, define objectives, review criteria, collect data, analyze data, provide feedback, and follow up 23. Medication use evaluation, MUE focuses on evaluating and improving medication use process for optimal patient outcomes 24. P&T Committee, Pharmacy Support, Planning Agendas, Gathering Data, Evaluating Medications, Conducting Quality Assurance, and Communicating Information 25. Formulary Inclusion, Steps to be taken for possible inclusion of a new drug in the Formulary 26. Non-formulary NF, drugs coverage, may be covered with prior authorization or partial coverage without of-pocket copay study design. Statistical and Methodological Considerations 1. Study Design, Methodology Used to Investigate a Particular Phenomenon 2. Research Question, Primary Issue that Dictates the Study Design 3. Covariates, Other Variables that Potentially Affect the Relationship Between Exposure and Outcome 4. Exposure, Specific Factor Being Studied in Relation to Its Effect on an Outcome 5. Outcome, result or endpoint being measured in a study 6. Evidence-based medicine, process of making decisions based on up-to-date, reliable research evidence 7. Treatment guidelines, recommendations for patient care based on research evidence 8. Randomized controlled clinical trial, gold standard study design that shows cause and effect 9. Case report, descriptive account of interesting slash unusual characteristics OB served in one patient 10. Case Series, Descriptive Account of a Group of Subjects with Unusual Observed Characteristics 11 Cross-Sectional, Study Design where Exposure and Outcome are Collected at One Time Period 12 Case Control, Study Design that Looks Back to Identify Factors that May Influence a Current Condition 13 Prospective Cohort, Study Design where a Group of Individuals with Common Characteristics are Followed Forward Over Time 14 Retrospective Cohort, study design similar to prospective cohort, but uses only records instead of following people in person 15. P-value, probability value used to answer the research question 16. Risk estimates, extent of the relationship between exposure and outcome 17. Data collection, collection of primary or secondary data for the study 18. Sample size, number of participants in the study, Determining Statistical Power 19 Bias, anything that compromises the ability to accurately determine the effect of exposure on the outcome 20 Selection Bias, bias introduced when key confounding factors are not collected in a study 21 Information Bias, 
bias introduced due to inaccurate or incomplete information 22. Confounding bias, bias introduced when confounding factors are not properly accounted for 23. Non-response bias, bias introduced when participants do not respond to the study 24. Loss to follow-up, bias introduced when participants are lost during the course of the study study design, statistical and methodological considerations 25. Volunteer bias, bias introduced when participants self-select to be part of the study 26. Reporting bias, bias introduced due to selective reporting of study results 27. Interviewer bias, bias introduced due to the behavior or characteristics of the interviewer 28. Recall bias, bias introduced due to participants' inaccurate recall of past events once upon a time, in the enchanting land of Pharmacia, there was a wise and kind pharmacist named Alice. She possessed a magical book known as Clinical Keys, a tome filled with Elsevier's global clinical reference that held the secrets of health and healing. This book was a treasure sought by health professionals far and wide, but it was available by subscription only. To ensure the accuracy of the information within her clinical keys, Alice embarked on a grand adventure. She consulted with more than 2,000 doctors from across the world, gathering their wisdom to enhance her knowledge. It was said that her book drew its information from a mystical source known as Clinical Pharmacology, a repository of detailed drug information for prescriptions, over-the-counter medicines, herbal remedies, and vitamins. It even contained a section on pediatric monographs inspired by the Harriet Lane Handbook. Alice knew that clinical pharmacology was considered a tertiary reference, alongside Micrometics, which was another invaluable resource for her and her fellow health professionals. She could compare drug products, screen for therapeutic issues, and receive medication alerts through these electronic databases. In the Kingdom of Pharmacia, one common concern was diabetes, a condition in which the people's bodies struggled with glucose, a simple sugar that served as their primary source of energy. Alice, always eager to learn, knew the importance of keeping up with recent statistics. She learned that the total number of people with diabetes had reached 37.3 million, which was 11.3% of the kingdom's population. Of these, 28.7 million had been diagnosed, while 8.5 million remained undiagnosed. With diabetes on the rise over the last 10 years, as reported by the Centers for Disease Control CDC, understanding the different theories associated with diabetes became crucial. There were two theories, the internal starvation theory, which spoke of a lack of glucose inside the cells, and the overflow paradigm, which referred to an excess of glucose accumulating within the cells. Alice, being a diligent and caring pharmacist, made it her mission to understand the available glucose-lowering medications. She learned about drugs that increased insulin sensitivity, such as biguanides and thiazolidindians. Then, there were the insulin secretagogues, like glinides and sulfonylureas, which played a role in stimulating insulin secretion. In cretin-based therapies, including DPP-4 inhibitors and GLP-1 receptor agonists, were another category of glucose-lowering medications. Additionally, there were other agents, like SGLT2 inhibitors, amylin analogs, and alpha-glycosidase inhibitors. And, of course, the ever-reliable insulin, a classic hero in the battle against diabetes. 
Sulfonylureas, Alice learned, had the power to increase insulin secretion, a benefit supported by extensive experience and relatively higher A1C efficacy. However, they came with safety concerns, including the risk of hypoglycemia, weight gain, and even increased mortality in some studies. Alice delved deeper into the world of sulfonylureas, discovering that they were divided into first-generation and second-generation drugs, each with its unique properties. First-generation sulfonylureas, like chlorpropamide, were the pioneers in diabetes treatment. Second-generation sulfonylureas, on the other hand, included glymburide and gliburide. These advanced heroes further enhanced insulin secretion to combat the diabetes dragon. Among the many options for diabetes management, Alice found thiazolidindians or glitazones, which increased insulin sensitivity and reduced A1C levels. However, they weren't without their safety concerns, including edema, heart failure, and bone fractures, along with an increase in LDLC. There were even reports of heart problems associated with one of the glitazones. Alice's quest for knowledge led her to DPP-4 inhibitors, a class of drugs that included linagliptin, saxagliptin, citagliptin, and alagliptin. These inhibitors worked by blocking the DPP-4 enzyme, allowing GLP-1 to stimulate insulin secretion and suppress glucagon, resulting in improved glucose management. They had the benefit of a low risk of hypoglycemia. However, Alice couldn't ignore the safety concerns associated with DPP-4 inhibitors. They brought with them the threat of angioedema, urticaria, immune-mediated dermatological effects, acute pancreatitis, and an increased risk of heart failure hospitalizations. Another formidable hero in the battle against diabetes was metformin, a biguanide. Metformin's mechanism of action involved reducing hepatic glucose production and enhancing insulin sensitivity. It had a low risk for hypoglycemia and was known for its relatively higher A1C efficacy. Yet, metformin wasn't without its own set of safety concerns. Gastrointestinal side effects, the risk of vitamin B12 deficiency, and the possibility of lactic acidosis were the dragons that Alice and her patients had to face. Alice's journey led her to GLP-1 receptor agonists, which had the power to slow gastric emptying, reduce appetite, and decrease postprandial glucose levels. However, they also had their share of safety concerns, such as gastrointestinal side effects and an increase in heart rate. There were even reports of C-cell hyperplasia and medullary thyroid tumors in animals. Alice's book, Clinical Keys, provided her with a list of examples of GLP-1 receptor agonists, including lixazinatide, liraglutide, semaglutide, exanatide QW, albiglutide, and even an oral version. SGLT2 inhibitors, another group of glucose-lowering medications, blocked glucose reabsorption by the kidneys and led to glucosuria. They offered the benefit of a low risk of hypoglycemia, along with a decrease in weight and blood pressure. Yet, they also brought the risk of genitourinary infections, urosepsis, increased LDLC, transient increases in creatinine levels, and the dreaded diabetic ketoacidosis. Alice couldn't forget the alpha-glycosidase inhibitors, although they were considered the least effective of the diabetes-fighting agents. Medications like acarbose and miglitol were known for slowing down intestinal carbohydrate digestion and absorption, 
leading to a decrease in postprandial glucose levels without affecting the entire body. As Alice continued her journey, she came across lifestyle management tips for diabetes. Low-carb diets, intermittent fasting, and regular exercise were all strategies that could aid in managing diabetes effectively. Low-carb diets, for instance, had the potential to induce diabetes remission without adverse consequences. Intermittent fasting not only helped with weight loss but also reduced insulin resistance and lowered blood sugar and insulin levels. It even reduced the risk of inflammation and improved various health markers, including cholesterol levels. In the land of Pharmacia, the battle against diabetes raged on, and Alice, armed with her clinical keys and newfound knowledge, stood ready to guide her patients on their quest for better health. With every page she turned and every piece of information she gathered, she became an even wiser and more compassionate pharmacist, ready to face any challenge that came her way. And so, her tale in the magical world of drug informatics continued, with new chapters and adventures waiting to unfold. In the end, the fairy tale of Alice, the pharmacist, emphasized the concepts and terms of drug informatics in pharmacy, showcasing the importance of accurate information, the role of different drug references, the significance of understanding diabetes and its management, and the various medications and their safety concerns. Alice's journey through the world of pharmaceutical knowledge highlighted the vital role of pharmacists in helping patients on their healthcare journeys. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to today's lecture on drug informatics in pharmacy. In this lecture, we will explore various aspects of drug informatics and delve into the world of clinical data, medication management, and therapeutic interventions using Richard Feynman's approach. We'll ensure that each concept and term is noted and emphasized and that they are relevant to the field of drug informatics in pharmacy. 1. Introduction to Clinical Keys and Drug Informatics Let's begin with a brief introduction to Clinical Keys, Elsevier's global clinical reference, and how it relates to drug informatics in pharmacy. 2. Clinical Keys a global clinical reference Clinical Keys is a comprehensive global clinical reference available by subscription. It draws information from various sources, including clinical pharmacology, and is considered a tertiary reference like Micromedics. It is primarily targeted at health professionals and provides invaluable drug-related information. 3. Clinical Pharmacology Key Aspects Clinical Pharmacology is a crucial resource in drug informatics. It offers drug monographs, pediatric monographs, drug class overviews, and patient drug and disease education. This information is indispensable for healthcare professionals in making informed decisions regarding drug therapy. 4. Types of information in clinical pharmacology In clinical pharmacology, you can find various types of information, such as for compatibility, toxicology resources for poison and overdose emergencies, custom reports, and medication alerts. This electronic database is peer-reviewed and has no print counterpart, making it a vital resource for drug informatics. 5. Understanding Glucose Before we dive deeper into drug informatics, it's essential to understand the concept of glucose. Glucose is a simple sugar, a primary energy source for the body. It is used by nearly all cells, and its normal range is 70,100 mg/dl. 6. Recent Diabetes Mellitus Statistics to highlight the importance of drug informatics in the context of real-world healthcare, 
let's look at some recent diabetes mellitus statistics. Diabetes is a prevalent health concern, affecting millions of people, with a significant increase in its incidence over the last decade. 7. Theories associated with diabetes Two theories are associated with diabetes, the internal starvation theory, which refers to a lack of glucose inside cells, and the overflow paradigm, which refers to excess glucose accumulation inside cells. 8. Glucose-lowering medications, insulin sensitivity Now, let's shift our focus to the various glucose-lowering medications, starting with drugs that increase insulin sensitivity. These include biguanides like metformin and thiazolidindians. 9. Glucose-lowering medications, insulin secretagogues The insulin secretagogues are glinides and sulfonylureas, which play a critical role in managing blood sugar levels. 10. Glucose-lowering medications, incretin-based therapies Incretin-based therapies, such as DPP-4 inhibitors and GLP-1 receptor agonists, offer innovative approaches to diabetes management. 11. Glucose-lowering medications, other agents beyond the traditional categories, there are other agents like SGLT2 inhibitors, amylin analogs, and alpha-glucosidase inhibitors that contribute to comprehensive diabetes care. 12. Another example of glucose-lowering medications Let's not forget insulin, a fundamental and versatile medication in diabetes management. 13. Sulfonylureas, Part 1, Mechanism and Benefits Sulfonylureas increase insulin secretion and have advantages in terms of healthcare provider experience and A1C efficacy. 14. Safety Concerns With Sulfonylureas However, sulfonylureas come with safety concerns, including hypoglycemia, weight gain, and potential increased mortality in some studies. 15. First-generation sulfonylureas Examples of first-generation sulfonylureas, like chlorpropamide, are a part of diabetes treatment history. 16. Second-generation sulfonylureas The second generation of sulfonylureas includes drugs like glymphuride and glyburide, offering improvements in efficacy and safety. 17. Thiazolidindians, glitazones Mechanism and benefits Thiazolidindians or glitazones increase insulin sensitivity and provide advantages, such as A1C efficacy and benefits for triglycerides. 18. Safety concerns with glitazones Yet, these drugs have safety concerns, including edema, weight gain, heart failure, and bone fractures. We'll also discuss the regulatory history of Avandia. 19. DPP-4 inhibitors Roles Moving on to DPP-4 inhibitors, these medications play a vital role in diabetes management by inhibiting DPP-4 enzyme activity. 20. DPP-4 Inhibitors Mechanisms of Action The mechanism of DPP-4 inhibitors involves blocking the DPP-4 enzyme, resulting in an increase in insulin secretion and a decrease in glucagon secretion. 21. Benefits of DPP-4 inhibitors One of the key benefits of DPP-4 inhibitors is their low risk of hypoglycemia, making them a valuable option in diabetes treatment. 22. Safety concerns with DPP-4 inhibitors However, safety concerns, including angioedema, urticaria, acute pancreatitis, and heart failure hospitalizations, need to be considered. 23. Mechanism of action of biguanides metformin, biguanides, such as metformin, 
act by reducing hepatic glucose production and enhancing insulin sensitivity. They offer unique benefits in diabetes management. 24. Benefits of Biglanides, Metformin The benefits of Biglanides include extensive experience, a low risk of hypoglycemia, and relatively high A1C efficacy. 25. Safety concerns with Biglanides, Metformin, however, safety concerns, such as GI side effects, vitamin B12 deficiency, lactic acidosis risk, and contraindications based on glomerular filtration rate, heart failure, and contrast dye use, must be carefully considered. 26. Mechanism of GLP-1 Receptor Agonists GLP-1 Receptor Agonists have a unique mechanism of action, involving the slowing of gastric emptying, increased satiety, insulin secretion, and decreased glucagon, all in a glucose-dependent manner. 27. Benefits of GLP-1 Receptor Agonists These medications offer benefits such as reduced appetite, weight loss, and decreased postprandial glucose levels. 28. Safety concerns for GLP-1 receptor agonists Despite their advantages, GLP-1 receptor agonists come with safety concerns, including GI side effects and an increase in heart rate. In animal studies, they've been associated with C-cell hyperplasia and medullary thyroid tumors. 29. Examples of GLP-1 receptor agonists Several GLP-1 receptor agonists are available, including lixazinatide, liraglutide, semaglutide, exonatide QW, albiglutide, and oral semaglutide. 30. Examples of SGLT2 inhibitors SGLT2 inhibitors, such as canagliflozin, dipagliflozin, and empagliflozin, provide a unique approach to managing blood sugar. 31. Mechanism of SGLT2 inhibitors The mechanism of SGLT2 inhibitors involves blocking glucose reabsorption by the kidneys, leading to glucosuria and reduced blood sugar levels. 32. Benefits of SGLT2 inhibitors SGLT2 inhibitors offer multiple benefits, including a low risk of hypoglycemia, weight loss, and decreased blood pressure. 33. Safety concerns for SGLT2 inhibitors However, these medications come with safety concerns, including genitourinary infections, urosepsis, pyelonephritis, increased LDLC levels, transient increases in creatinine, and the risk of diabetic ketoacidosis. 34. Alpha-glucosidase inhibitors Alpha-glucosidase inhibitors may be the least effective but are still useful in certain cases. Examples include A-carbose and Miglitol. 35. Mechanism of action of alpha-glucosidase inhibitors Alpha-glucosidase inhibitors slow intestinal carbohydrate digestion or absorption, helping control postprandial glucose levels. 36. Benefits of alpha-glucosidase inhibitors The benefits of these inhibitors include a low risk of hypoglycemia and a decrease in postprandial glucose excursions, and they act non-systemically. 37. Safety concerns of alpha-glucosidase inhibitors However, they may have modest A1C efficacy and be associated with GI side effects and a frequent dosing schedule. 38. Lifestyle management tips alongside medication, lifestyle management plays a critical role in diabetes care. Strategies such as low-carb diets, intermittent fasting, and regular exercise can be highly effective in managing blood sugar. 39. 
Low-carb diets and type 2 diabetes Low-carb diets have been shown to have a positive impact on diabetes, potentially leading to diabetes remission without adverse consequences. 40. Benefits of Intermittent Fasting Intermittent fasting offers a range of benefits, including weight loss, reduced insulin resistance, reduced inflammation, improved lipid profiles, and increased brain-derived neurotrophic factor BDNF, production. In conclusion, drug informatics in pharmacy is a dynamic field that encompasses a wide range of medications and treatment options. It's essential for healthcare professionals to stay informed about the latest developments in drug therapy, safety concerns, and lifestyle management strategies to provide the best possible care for patients. Certainly, let's craft lectures for each of the listed terms to emphasize the main ideas and concepts. Lecture 1, Drug Information in Pharmacy Title, Drug Information, The Pharmacist Speak and Introduction, Welcome to today's lecture on Drug Information in Pharmacy. In this session, we will explore the crucial role of pharmacists in providing accurate and complete responses to drug information requests. Main Ideas 1. The Importance of Drug Information Pharmacists as Key Sources of Drug Information Ensuring Safe and Effective Medication Use 2. Challenges in Drug Information Keeping Current Resources Dealing with Inaccurate Information Conclusion Pharmacists are trusted providers of drug information, making patient safety and well-being their top priority. Lecture 2, Trust in Pharmacists as Drug Experts Title, Trust in Pharmacists, Guardians of Drug Expertise Introduction, in this lecture, we'll discuss the critical role of pharmacists as drug experts and trusted providers of drug information. Main Ideas, 1. The Role of Pharmacists, Drug Experts in the Healthcare Team, Ensuring Medication Safety 2. Building Trust, Demonstrating Expertise and Reliability Patient-Centered Care Conclusion, Trust in Pharmacists is Paramount for Effective Healthcare and Medication Management Lecture 3, Challenges in Drug Information Title, Navigating Challenges in Drug Information Introduction, Today, we'll explore the challenges faced by pharmacists in keeping up with drug information and managing inaccuracies. Main Ideas 1. Keeping Current Resources Continuous Learning and Updates Evolving Drug Landscape 2. Handling Inaccurate Information Critical Evaluation of Sources The Impact on Patient Care Conclusion Pharmacists play a pivotal role in overcoming challenges in drug information to ensure safe and effective medication use. Lecture 4 Physicians and Technology in Healthcare Title Physicians and Technology, Navigating the Digital Healthcare Landscape Introduction, this lecture delves into how physicians use mobile devices for healthcare tasks and accessing drug information. Main Ideas, 1 Digital Healthcare Revolution, Mobile Devices in Clinical Practice, Immediate Access to Medical Resources, 2 Physicians and Drug Information, Quick Decision Making, Evidence-Based Practice, Conclusion, Physicians harness technology to enhance patient care, including drug information retrieval. Lecture 5, Patients and Technology, Younger Generation Title, Patients and Technology, The Digital Generation's Drug Information Quest Introduction, in this lecture, we examine how younger patients primarily use the Internet for drug information. Main Ideas, 
one Internet as a primary source, accessible information. Challenges of Internet Sourced Information Two Empowering Patients, Encouraging Responsible Information Seeking Enhancing Patient-Provider Communication Conclusion, the younger generation is tech-savvy, but healthcare professionals must guide them in using online resources responsibly. Lecture 6, Patients and Technology, Older Generation Title, Patients and Technology, The Wisdom of Seeking a Healthcare Provider Introduction, Today, we explore how older patients prefer healthcare providers as their primary source of drug information. Main Ideas, 1. Trust in Healthcare Providers, Established Relationships Confidence in Expert Guidance 2. Bridging the Gap, Encouraging Digital Literacy Adapting to Patients' Needs Conclusion, Older Patients Value the Expertise of Healthcare Providers in Navigating Drug Information Lecture 7, Patients and Technology, Evaluating Internet Information Title, Patients and Technology, Navigating the Internet for Drug Information Introduction, Let's discuss how individuals, not affiliated with healthcare, may struggle to evaluate the validity of online drug information. Main Ideas, 1. Digital Literacy, Varying Skills in Assessing Online Information Identifying Trustworthy Sources 2. Promoting Health Literacy, Education for Consumers Encouraging Critical Thinking Conclusion, Enhancing Digital Literacy and Health Education is Vital for Individuals Seeking Drug Information Online Lecture 8, Pharmacists' Role in Drug Information Title, Empowering Pharmacists the key to effective drug information introduction, this lecture highlights the pharmacist's pivotal role in knowing available drug information resources and using them effectively. Main Ideas, 1. Information Resource Management, Utilizing Electronic Databases Accessing Primary Literature for Clinical Questions 2. Efficiency in Drug Information, Fast and Accurate Responses Patient-Centric Care Conclusion Pharmacists are vital in ensuring efficient and evidence-based drug information management. Lecture on Drug Information Pharmacists as providers of accurate and complete responses Ladies and gentlemen, today, we're going to discuss the crucial role of pharmacists in providing accurate and complete responses to drug information D, requests. We'll approach this topic following the remarkable teaching style of Richard Feynman. Let's start by emphasizing the main concepts. 1. Introduction to Drug Information Drug Information D, is a cornerstone of healthcare decision-making. It involves providing accurate and comprehensive responses to questions about medications. Pharmacists play a central role in this process. 2. Trust in Pharmacists One of the primary ideas we need to understand is the trust placed in pharmacists. Patients, other healthcare professionals, and the general public recognize pharmacists as drug experts and providers of D. This trust is crucial in ensuring accurate and safe medication use. 3. Challenges in drug information While pharmacists are trusted sources of D, they face several challenges, including keeping current with rapidly changing D resources and dealing with occasionally inaccurate information. We'll explore how they address these challenges effectively. Now, Let's take a look at a specific scenario to understand how pharmacists handle D requests. 4. A clinical scenario Imagine you are a pharmacist, 
and a physician approaches you with a clinical question. They're seeking information to compare the effectiveness of clopidogrel and ticagrelor for STEMI patients going for emergency PCI. 5. Addressing the question when you are sure if you have the answer, your response should follow Feynman's teaching, acknowledge the question, provide your conclusion, elaborate on the answer, and encourage further inquiries. This transparent and comprehensive approach ensures effective communication. 6. Addressing the question when you are not sure but what if you are not entirely sure? Acknowledge the question, provide what you know, specify when you will follow up with additional information, and confirm the method of communication. Transparency and accountability are paramount. 7. How to look up the question in either case, looking up the question is a critical step. For clinical questions, it involves classifying the question and using electronic databases for specific information. For medication-related questions, you might delve into the primary literature. 8. Utilizing PubMed PubMed is a fantastic resource for searching clinical literature. You can find research articles, clinical trials, and systematic reviews that provide evidence-based answers to your questions. 9. Conclusion Pharmacists as the experts in conclusion, pharmacists are not just dispensers of medications, they are the go-to experts for D. Their ability to provide accurate and complete responses, their commitment to transparency, and their skill in navigating diverse resources make them invaluable in healthcare. Now, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to ask. Dash lecture on patients and technology, younger patients and the internet Hello everyone, in today's lecture, we will discuss the impact of technology on patient behavior and, specifically, the younger generation's reliance on the internet as their primary source of drug information, D. We'll explore this topic following the teaching style of the renowned physicist Richard Feynman. 1. Patients and Technology The advent of technology has transformed how patients seek information about their health and medications. In this lecture, we'll focus on how younger patients are increasingly turning to the internet for drug information. 2. Younger patients and the internet Younger patients, often referred to as digital natives, have grown up in a world filled with technology. They are more likely to embrace the internet as their primary source of D. 3. The information age We live in the information age, where access to knowledge is just a click away. The internet provides an overwhelming amount of information, including information about medications and health. 4. The challenge of information overload While the internet is a valuable resource, the sheer volume of information can be overwhelming. Younger patients must learn to navigate through the sea of data to find reliable and accurate data. 5. Trust and Validity One of the key challenges for younger patients is discerning trustworthiness and validity. Not all information found on the internet is accurate or evidence-based. This is where the role of healthcare professionals becomes crucial. 6. The role of pharmacists Pharmacists, as trusted healthcare providers, can play a pivotal role in guiding younger patients on how to evaluate the validity of data they find on the internet. They can teach critical thinking skills and provide reliable sources. 7. Richard Feynman's approach In the spirit of Richard Feynman, we encourage young patients to approach internet-based data with curiosity and skepticism. They should ask questions, cross-reference information, and seek guidance when in doubt. 
8. Conclusion Embracing technology with caution In conclusion, younger patients' use of the Internet as their primary source of D is a reflection of the digital age we live in. However, they must approach this technology with caution, and pharmacists are here to help them navigate the vast sea of information. Welcome to the New Chemist Podcast, one of the best chemistry podcasts globally. We are glad you are listening. We encourage you to subscribe and continue to listen. Welcome to the New Chemist Podcast. We are glad you are listening. We are one of the best chemistry podcasts globally. We encourage you to subscribe and continue to listen. Podcast. We are so glad you are listening. Feel free to subscribe on Spotify and tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast. Our Deepest Fear by Marion Williamson Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightening about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us. It's in everyone. And as we, let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we're liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Our deepest fear by Marion Williams. You are very important, especially to us here at the New Chemist Podcasting Group. You listening in is significant. Vous êtes très important, surtout pour nous ici au New Chemist Podcasting Group. Votre écoute est significative. Usted es muy importante, especialmente para nosotros aquí en The Nuche Mist Podcasting Group. Usted escuchando, es significativo.
Você é muito importante. Especialmente para nós do The New Chemist Podcasting Group. Você ouvindo, é significativo. Είστε πολύ σημαντικοί, ειδικά για εμάς εδώ στο The New Chemist Podcasting Group. Το να ακούς είναι σημαντικό. Sie sind sehr wichtig, besonders für uns hier bei The New Chemist Podcasting Group. Es ist wichtig, dass du zuhörst. Je bent erg belangrijk, vooral voor ons hier bij The New Chemist Podcasting Group. Dat je meeluistert, is veel betekenend. You are very important. Especially to us here at the New Chemist Podcasting Group. You listening in is significant. Welcome to the New Chemist Podcast. Bienvenidos al podcast del nuevo químico. Kalos irzate sto podcast tu New Chemist. Welkom bij de podcast van The New Chemist. Bienvenue sur le podcast du Nouveau Chimiste. Bem-vindo ao podcast do Novo Químico. Welcome to the New Chemist Podcast. Work hard. Be value-driven. You can do it. You can grow and learn it. You can be the difference you and your community needs. Don't give up. We are here, rooting and cheering for you. Don't give up. Travaillez dur. Soyez axés sur la valeur. Tu peux le faire. Vous pouvez grandir et l'apprendre. Vous pouvez être la différence dont vous et votre communauté avez besoin. N'abandonnez pas. Nous sommes ici pour vous encourager et vous encourager. N'abandonnez pas. Trabalhar duro. Seja orientado por valores. Você consegue. Você pode crescer e aprender. Você pode ser a diferença que você e sua comunidade precisam. Não desista. Estamos aqui torcendo e torcendo por você. Não desista. 
Δούλεψε σκληρά. Να οδηγείτε στην αξία. Μπορείς να το κάνεις. Μπορείτε να μεγαλώσετε και να το μάθετε. Μπορείτε να είστε η διαφορά που χρειάζεστε εσείς και η κοινότητά σας. Μην τα παρατάς. Είμαστε εδώ για να σας ζητοκραυγάσουμε. Μην τα παρατάς. Trabaja duro. Sea impulsado por el valor. Puedes hacerlo. Puedes crecer y aprenderlo. Usted puede ser la diferencia que usted y su comunidad necesitan. No te rindas estamos aquí animándote y animándote. No te rindas. Werk hard. Wees waardig gedreven. Je kunt het. Je kunt groeien en leren. U kunt het verschil zijn dat u en uw gemeenschap nodig hebben. Geef niet op. We zijn hier om voor je te roten en te juichen. Geef niet op. Work hard. Be value driven. You can do it. You can grow and learn it. You can be the difference you and your community needs. Don't give up. We are here rooting and cheering for you. Don't give up. Thanks for listening. We're glad you were able to tune into this podcast. Once again, this is the new chemist where we discuss chemistry, which simply put is the science of change as well as the other sciences, careers, community, research, and COVID-19. Thanks again for listening. Note, the views on this podcast represent those of my guests and I. the world of pharmacy we lay the claim knowledge and compassion is the golden flame signs and practice side by side they groove in a student's journey we find the move